joy, possibility, and goodness. If I had to recommend like one thing right now to everyone, this would be it. Enlightening and therapeutic and terrifying (laughs) at times. Um. I'm a 40-year-old man and I love Harry Styles. Okay, I'm just saying it. Of all the things, if you're going to have a time machine, I need to go tell 98 about Goop. Ugly cry, and then just like pee your pants laughing all in one episode. Seasons, greetings, long walkers. Dave here to introduce our first new episode in six months. Uh, Palmer and I took some time off to uh, reflect, to listen and learn instead of talk, to reconnect off mic as friends and reconsider how we want to move forward with the podcast. Um, So there will be some format experimenting, such as me trying out this intro-outro business. Uh, And I'm sure there will be episodes focused on a particular thing from time to time. But the main thing I can tell you is that we plan to prioritize the conversations and our connection to each other as friends above all else. Obviously, this has been a really tough year, full of many super challenging things, and I thought it'd be fun to get some guys together for an old-school, audio-only celebration of the things that brought us comfort and joy in 2020. Kind of an online holiday party for our little gang, but with the structure of the top 10 favorite things Palmer and I usually do in January. If you're a long-time listener, you'll likely recognize some or perhaps all of the voices in the opening teaser. Thank you for sticking with us. Uh, If you're new here, welcome. Thank you for joining us for episode 86. 86, not like the numerical slang to get rid of someone, but like 1986, the year Jean-Claude Van Damme made a speaking role as Ivan the Russian in No Retreat, No Surrender which just so happens to be the last film I saw on the big screen on the Mystery Science Theater 3000 Great Cheesy Movie Circus Tour before COVID relegated all of us to our rooms for the last nine months. Anyhow, grab your beverage of choice, maybe even wrap yourself in an ugly holiday sweater, and listen in as we sing the praises of some stuff that helped us through this fucking dumpster fire of a year. Uh, it, really, it turned out to be a really rich conversation. I'm really grateful for all the unexpected places it went. Um, I'm going to come back on afterwards to share a list of things that I myself put out into the world in 2020, as well as some recommendations I didn't get to in the flow of things here. Uh, I actually finished a bunch of stuff, a lot of which I have mentioned on the show over the years, and some are just kind of some surprises even to me. Um, but So if you're open to that, I thank you in advance and encourage you to stick around after the group merriment is over for some shameless self-promotion. Uh, But now, without further delay, here's our talk from December 11th, 2020. Hello, good sir. Can you hear me? I can indeed. And and you, me? Danny. Yes, I can. Oh, I love the Christmas sweater. Oh, thank you. (laughs) That's beautiful. Thank you. uh, Tis the season, I guess, right? (laughs) Tis. Tis. Man, your hair looks rather unruly. I like it. Oh, it's, Yeah. I don't know what to, I, I had to wash it. It looks so fucking crazy. I, <laughs> I took a shower in the day, which I don't usually do. Uh, <laughs> we thought about cutting it maybe 
but I mean that that would be a uh, that'd be extreme. <laughs> so, nice. I Actually, did... literally just finished cutting my hair. Really? Oh. Yeah. I'd go for it so. if there was some. I mean, I'm basically gonna have to just shave it. Would be the thing, which I'm not totally against, but I've been kind of enjoying the crazy. Nice. Crazy yeah, mess. I like it. Thanks. Awesome. No, I, no, we don't have any good Christmas sweaters. Oh, sweet. Oh, you're getting a wardrobe upgrade? Yeah, apparently. Yeah, wardrobe change. <laughs> That's great. Mm. I don't know. I was going with the old pixelated Batman. I love sure, it. I yeah. Cool. That's very cool. Oh. Hey, Twinkie. Okay. Look at that. Hello. Hi. We'll back. What's up, Twinkie? Hey, what's happening? Sound great. Can you hear us okay? Or me? Yep. Well, I guess oh, yeah. <laughs> Sultry oh. tones. Well, look who's talking. I can't even bring you up in the house. The bride's always like, ooh, Twinkie. Like, <laughs> no, no. Well, I uh, I don't have holiday apparel. However, I have holiday drink. Oh, ooh, okay. Nice. That counts. I mean, you know, nothing is required. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Obviously. Hang on a second here. Right. I'm going to reach around and get it. That's oh, she said. <laughs> yes. Oh man, what are you drinking? So we Sorry. bought the captain. We bought the captain, and we also got this Is brilliant holiday nog. Holiday oh. nog. It's of course being the the weirdo vegan. It is uh, almond milk, and it is delicious. No, we just we have some almond nog. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah I I love it. Nice. Stay in the, the man. man. <laughs> Hola. Greetings. What's going on? Cheers. We're just getting settled. Cheers. Good to see you again. Your beard is you looking well. jolly. <laughs> oh, you know what? And I was like sleeping on it. It's all matted down. When, when I shower and it's in its full glory, it, it's good. <laughs> it's gotcha. pretty glorious. So you need a day shower. Yeah, it's working from home again. Like I think I showered <laughs> on Wednesday, but I'm not. I can't like if they asked okay. me to swear on George Washington's Bible on that, I don't think I would. <laughs> hey, what are you guys drinking over there? I just poured a Guinness that I started to drink too, too quickly. <laughs> Excellent. Some dog. I've got some interesting. This is a new oh. thing we tried. Oh, man. I, so I just got, oh my buffalo, gosh. I got Buffalo Traces bourbon cream. Okay, yeah. Good shit, man. <laughs> I went to the store and I didn't see the Buffalo Traces, but I saw this bourbon cream. I was like, yeah. I'm going to try that. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty solid. Have we met before? Uh, you know what? I'm not really sure. I guess I've heard you, heard about you many, many, many times. Yeah, we same. But I don't, I don't know if we have or not. You know, you kind of look. You have a little Lin Manuel Miranda vibe going on. There. Very oh. much so. Yeah, I will you take know? that 100. percent Yeah, that dude is my hero, or oh. one of the many. Yeah, absolutely amazing. I just um, get ready to teach the uh, Revolutionary. Well, we are in the Revolutionary War unit right now in eighth grade, and. Uh, uh, we're getting, yeah, we're going to do a whole Hamilton lesson. It's going to be great. Yeah, cool. for sure. Any excuse to watch that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm drinking, by the way, from Platform Beer Company, Yule Jude. Oh. Yule Jude. <laughs> mm. Hazy IPA with natural flavors. It is. It's like uh, got winter spicy IPA ish kind of thing. It's good. Oh, mm. nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. My cat's trying to drink the nog. This could not go well <laughs> once the rum's in there. I love this. Is it, what's the cat, boy or a girl? A uh, girl. What's Her name her? is Squeaker. Squeaker. 
I hope to see Squeaker just sort of wandering yes. around in the empty space behind you. And <laughs> there was like a viral squirrel video a week or two ago. I think it was up in like Minnesota or Wisconsin where a, a squirrel was imbibing upon fruit that had. Yeah, I saw that. Had uh, <laughs> fermented. Fermented. And yeah, it was very inebriated. <laughs> That's hilarious. We'll see what happens, you know. <laughs> like I guess it came back for more. Yeah. <laughs> in 2020, you can't blame them. I was gonna say it's gotta be 2020 for squirrels too. Yeah. <laughs> How's the family? Oh my gosh, spectacular. Good. Things seem to be uh, going well. Knock on wood. Yeah. Good. Good. I knocked on wood. That's why. Oh, there's commentary in the background. In case you don't know, like oh, I the- say something completely. The commentariat has already begun. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> She's supposed to be having a video date with her girlfriends right now, too. So, oh. Uh, but it that may or may not start. Now, no. do, do they pillow fight when they're online, too, or is it only when they're together? Topless. Palmer! Yeah. Hey! 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 How's it going? That. Beard is one sexy. You are one sexy. <laughs> it's, so, it's so gray. It's ridiculous. Look at beard. <laughs> He's calling Morgan it. looking at your beard right now. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. This is only like uh, October, I think. I trimmed it way down in September, so yeah. it's winter beard. Nice. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm going to grow I, mine now, too. I actually... Uh, yeah, so every year... I'll trim it one last time around my birthday because I want to look good for my birthday. And then I don't trim it again until I can't stand it sometime in the spring. Uh, <clears throat> I actually, like two weeks ago, uh, so we used to, we don't let him do it anymore because he would eat them and then throw them up. But we used to, like, every walk, Murphy would eventually pick up a stick and he would just carry it all the way home. <laughs> and... Uh, I'd take it from his mouth, like right before we let him in the house, and I'd just like throw it over by the grill that's on our porch. And uh, I had this huge pile of sticks. <laughs> and I told Ash, I was like, I'm going to burn those sticks. And she's like, okay. So I put them in my, like, I like stacked them all nice and neat in my charcoal chimney and lit it. And the flame got too high. And I tried to like carry it. And I felt just this half of my beard just like <laughs> it shortened by like three quarters of an inch for like i was like oh, oh it no. smelled so bad and it was all curled like up curled? oh yeah it was bad it was bad uh so moral of the story is just let the dog eat the sticks don't try to burn them he'll just lose your beard <laughs> words to live by <laughs> yeah yeah one sweater seems to be not enough for me <laughs> i'm down in the <laughs> I, that is uh, an amazing sweater dave Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's yeah. very festive. I thought of that while I was like doing the dishes frantically to finish up, and uh, was like, "Oh shit!" I don't. I'm. I just. I'm wearing my Thunder Buddies T-shirt. There's nothing Christmassy about this at all. That's perfect. Uh, I mean, I maybe not Christmassy, buddy. but it's it's uh, appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I stalled on and and like, did anybody else really struggle to come up with top ten things that were great about this year? Like. I stalled yeah. at six. I'm just gonna fluff the last the last three here. I was just uh, gonna pretend well. like other people's picks were mine as well. Oh yeah! Oh, oh yeah! Oh, that's that's mine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was on my list too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you bastard! That's very so well smart. played. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's obviously I got it's a couple a, things. It's a very uh, very loose. I I didn't yeah. struggle for it because I I keep a list of the things that I 
uh, that are new to me. And so I was just looking over that and uh, I was like looking at the things that I'd highlight. I was like, oh, that was great. I was just sort of pulling them aside and I realized, I was like, oh, what am I doing this for? Because we didn't have plans at the time. And then I was like, oh, well, we'll use this as an excuse. So that's all it yeah. is. It's an ex- excuse. Um, yeah. I, I was doing prep, like kind of trying to keep my remarks short by writing bullet points and stuff, but I ran out of that too. So I don't even know how many I ultimately selected, <laughs> but, but I figured we'd just like ping pong around and I don't know. I'm just glad to see all of you. So that's the, yeah, that's the it's so thing. great. You guys look fantastic. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We're almost there. Seriously. Like so ready for 21. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Just, I, I don't even need it to be good because it's not going to take much to be better than this, right? <laughs> right. So, yeah. Right. Uh, Did you guys see that uh, that Texas lawsuit got denied by the Supreme Court? Like, no, oh, I did. The one that yeah. all the, Senate, oh, the Republicans were yes. behind? That scared the yeah. shit out of me when I heard about it this morning. I was like doing yeah. fine for a while, and that threw me and, off. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you just my, take my number one thing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. There's yeah. a, talk about stealing thunder. Yeah. <laughs> I know. My, uh, my opponent in this last election is the one that pushed Ohio to join the lawsuit, and so I put a post out on my page, which I'm still keeping active for reasons maybe we'll discuss tonight. Oh, um, yeah. And we did a call to action about flooding his office with calls and emails about this. And uh, apparently mission accomplished because I guess his uh, staff person was like exhausted at 430. And he's like, we have been slammed all day. I just, we're, we got to get out of here. <laughs> oh, nice. oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, I was happy to see the Ohio AG was like condemning the lawsuit, which was. Good. File that one under surprised. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, come on. There's just the like you can only entertain lunacy for so long. I want to think. I, I the one silver lining uh. is like it like exposed all these fuckers as like be like they're seditious. They just don't like. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, it, it's were it's, they not exposed to this point though? I know. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like uh, I don't know. I keep saying like, how can you keep den- like it's undeniable? But th- you would have thought that like years ago, I guess. Yeah. But, but you know, uh, like not to get too serious, but I, I was just watching this. Um, like I watch PBS for fun. That's what I do when I sit down and have alone time. I turn on PBS. God damn, I'm a nerd. But uh, there's a show. The BBC came out uh, last year called The Rise of the Nazis, and it's just about it's that for it's only goes until 1934 and it just talks about the ascension as a party in like it, it is not hyperbole to say like the nazis did every single one of these things and even if you're looking now like a lot of those 106 congressmen that voted to support this they're not doing it because they are republicans they're trumpers and because remember other republicans that didn't join this now they're going to say they're going to be said oh you're not a republican you're a rhino this and this and that so it's like you know, people are starting to leave their political ideology behind for a person, for a Democrat, right? An ideologue. And so now Trump is becoming this representation of everything they want and think America should be and everything else instead of a party platform or our founding documents or, you know, on and on and on. And it's scary shit, man. I mean, he's not going anywhere. He could cause a lot of freaking trouble. Oh, yeah. It's going to be the, the largest organized, like, what, uh, 
I don't know, like fringe group, <laughs> quote unquote. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's what I imagine. The rallies will just continue as they have. It will look the same, just hopefully get less press. <laughs> and, right. and, yeah. and use the bully pulp with as much, hopefully. Yeah. I saw some something. There was like uh, a newspaper that was pressing mm-hmm. Moscow to like offer essentially Clement. Ooh, whoa. What? I think. Ooh. Anybody else hear that? Yeah, there mm-hmm. might be a headphone yeah. jack somewhere. So I'll yeah. check her headphone jack. Somebody what is that? Did you redo? That's what it, that that is like, what it huh? sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> now for my solo on my did you redo? Stand by. <laughs> I didn't hear it, so maybe it was from my end. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm a federal employee, and so oh. all of these things that you're talking about have a direct impact on me, my mental well-being mostly. My joke is for the last four years, I felt like I'm the janitor on the Death Star. Like I just signed up to work for the, the you know, for the, uh, for whatever the party was. And I'm just trying to clean the toilets. And then there's this guy's trying to like destroy the universe. And that's kind of right. how I felt, you know? Right. Yeah. You feel like you're employed by the bad guy, but like, I don't want to be the bad guy. Right. <laughs> so, you know, like right now, for example, the government was supposed to shut down tonight and they got together and they passed a one week extension yeah. so they can work out fiscal spending for 2021, hopefully by next Friday. And we do this every single year. Right. And sometimes like two years ago, um, I still have Palmer's voicemail, by the way, that I listen to occasionally when we were shut down for 36 days, you know, and not getting paid and. Right. So all of these things, while they to other people might seem like, oh, it's just political shenanigans, they have a real impact yep. on people's day to day living. So the, oh, the yeah. most frustrating thing is like the first appropriation that usually gets hammered out is like the congressional um, payroll. Uh, yeah, they, they'll get that hammered out so that they their paychecks still go and then they'll let the rest of the government shut down around them. Uh, yeah. Super yeah, so frustrating. We'll there, see. It, a guy I work with said that uh, he, <clears throat> you could solve a pr- th- this problem every year is if you just passed a law that said they weren't allowed to pass the congressional appropriation until everything else was figured out, and then it gets solved every time. <laughs> every time. <laughs> yep. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, not too deep into politics, I guess. But. Uh, yeah. Well. Well. Then I guess we'll end on fingers crossed for uh, Georgia to pull through in the Senate, so we won't okay, run yeah. into any problems, yeah. right? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, Stan yeah. the man. You're probably gonna have to introduce your cat in the background here. Oh, cat! Uh, that one is Santana. Uh, we call her Carlos, and then <laughs> we also our other cat is uh, Ringo Stella. So we have a Ringo and a Carlos, but they're both female. And uh, yeah, so it's it's hilarious because this cat right there is like a real pain in the ass. Like she's, we love her. Like she's, but she like, I'm her person for some reason. Morgan saved her life. Like she got thrown out as a kitten. She was like living on this woman's windowsill and like someone put us something out like about this poor kitten. So Morgan actually went and rescued her. I put her in a box, all this stuff. And she hates Morgan. Like wants to be with me 24 seven. Like I (laughs) kid you not. Like when I step out of my room, like at seven in the morning every day, She's at my door and like I can barely get down the stairs and stand there and pee because she's just like rubbing me constantly. She stands and looks at me while I pee, like all this stuff. It's crazy. 
And then Ringo is like real, like chill. Like she just was like real cool cat, like just like the chillest cat of all time. And this one's high strung and always attacks her. But it's funny, my dog is afraid of this cat. And so like if it was hilarious tonight, I was cracking up. I was sitting in here and Santana was just on the floor in front of the stairs and Teddy had to pee and he came in front of the stairs and he stopped. And like you can see him looking at me and he's looking at the cat and looking at me. I was like, come here, daddy. You know, and like, he was like, he didn't know what to do. And then finally he just laid down. <laughs> oh, great. There he is. Hello, Teddy. You came down. Yeah. So, but it's funny because the personality of my two cats match the personality of my two middle daughters, like to a T. Santana annoys the shit out of, uh, Ringo, and it's like that with my two daughters too. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, that was a uh, long walk for a short drink right there. That, or you just know the name of the cat. You're in the right place. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. Nailed it. It's been too long. I think I last saw you for the Disney thing. Was it the Disney show? Uh, you were on Disney RoboCop. Disney- oh, oh, RoboCop. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I had a, I loaned had loaned RoboCop to this young kid that worked in my first office when I started, and uh, he just returned it to me. And I thought he had it that entire time and didn't watch it. RoboCop lives with me now. Yeah, <laughs> don't don't loan me things. And so, like, I opened it, and there was a post-it in there that said, uh, "I finally watched this. I really enjoyed it." Uh, so he actually watched it. Nice. I hear rumors of a remake. Another one? Another remake? They did the one. It was awful. Yeah. If they do it, they need to go like that. The whole point was that it was R and like they took it so far. Right. So the first thing I think of when I hear Robocop is bitches leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bitches leave. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, what do you think is going to happen with movies? So I just saw like, you know, the the one Lennox Theater, you know, in Columbus. That's the one I like always went to as a kid. Like it just closed permanently. Like movie theaters are closed around everywhere. Like I, I think that movie theaters might be a casualty of this 2020 because they'll still be movie theaters just like they're still drive-ins. But movies all of a sudden they have like movie production companies have maximized their, their profits threefold by cutting out the theaters with yeah. the direct to consumer. Like that's that uh, Disney did with Mulan and like, you know, what is happening with Wonder Woman with HBO and all that. That's the wave of the future. And it's kind of sad. It's taking us out of our community again. Right. People are just going to continue to be more isolated now. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I actually was checking out uh, the, my, I was going through my, um, expenses and stuff and the app that I use you can uh, just do graphs and charts like just by like checking different filters real quick and uh, I just did a search just to see when the last time I had marked that I went to the movies because that you know uh, that expense will always be in there and it was I saw the last Jedi or not the last Jedi uh is that the is that the third Rise one? of Skywalker? Rise of the Skywalker. Jesus, thank you. Uh, with Ash, like at the end of December, December twenty first. So it's been a year. I haven't seen a movie. Wow. Ever. I've wow. Been to the theater in over a year, and that's, that's also my last movie in a theater. Yeah, Likewise. it's crazy. Yeah. So, um, this HBO thing, I've, I I uh, 
Christopher Nolan, of course, had like tons of problems with the HBO deal. That they made that major announcement that uh, they're going to simultaneously release their films in the theater and HBO Max at the same time at no additional yeah. expense to HBO Max subscribers. And uh, <clears throat> it really there uh, there was also the director of the Dune reboot. Uh, he also spoke out against that this deal that they're doing. So I agree. I think there is um, it is the future. I've really noticed like uh, it took him a little bit to catch up, but Hollywood really I, I don't know if you have noticed on YouTube too, there's been a lot of saturation of like mainstream content being created for YouTube that's pushing out like independent creators basically so yeah. uh, um but you I, mean it, from independent creators who happen to be famous right isn't that because i think we talked about this right or do you mean like studios producing stuff also studios producing stuff now i've oh. i'm i'm noticing stuff like i i mean uh you know the news is a really great example of it like they're making a business of of synthesizing their news now, their 24-hour stream into like consumable bits that mm. are very highly produced, right? Like, but then also absorb all of the like typical clickbaity things that you would expect for a really grabby video, right? Like really nice screen grab, like for the thumbnail, really catchy title that's like probably doesn't get said until like the last like seconds of the video happens, and it's just like barely touched upon but it's inflammatory so it's going to grab your attention and uh taking those bits that they already sold they they have advertising dollars for that's what funded the creation of those on their 24-hour feed and now so if they can you know just crank out these little bits of video and even if just a handful of them like really go viral or really get a lot of views like they're going to monetize off of that stuff they already made money on because it went on the air so um, it's, it's kind of a no brainer for them, but I agree. It's totally isolating for us. That's the, that's the problem. Well, I will yeah. say about the HBO thing is they are still releasing them in cinema. Um, I mean, right. I, I get it. Like you're not making an exclusive and that will drive probably the bulk of people to, I mean, you, all of us here, I think love cinema. My wife hates movie theaters because she thinks they're just kind of disgusting like <laughs> porn everywhere and sticky floors and whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a porn theater. Now that I say it, maybe she's been, maybe she's going to <laughs> Dodge. Maybe she's going to the wrong theaters. <laughs> um, but I guess, you know, giving people that choice, like they're still doing that. I mean, I wish I could have gone to see Tenet in IMAX. I mean, I love, I think I've seen every Christopher Nolan movie since the dark Knight in IMAX. Because um, wow. he oh. makes he he makes them for that type of experience. That large that's what format, he, yeah. He wants people to see it, and I get it, and I would love to experience that. However, I don't want people to die um, to go see Tenet. Yeah. <laughs> how how was Tenet, by the way? I, it's I haven't seen it yet. Oh <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it either. I think you can buy it soon, but I probably will just rent it. But yeah, it's yeah. you know. Would I rather see Dune in an IMAX theater or a large format theater? Sure. But if if we don't have vaccines and we're not ready and I'm not 
it's not worth it to me to go see yeah. that. So, well, uh, and uh, it's the frustrate. It's like this frustrating line too, because uh, you uh, there just is going to be a shift. This is forcing like progress, and sometimes that progress yeah. necessarily is not pleasant, but it still is progress, right? Uh, it's the same thing with yeah, the. I mean, the but, I mean, th there's no blockbusters anymore today, right? But, uh, you yep. know, and we still kind of are sad about that because we grew up with it. But these kids today don't give a damn. There's no blockbusters, right? Everything's streaming. Yep. And I think that now I just kind of think that, like, you know, theaters are going to largely go away. It'll be like a special occasion when you go. Like, we'll take our kids to the drive through, like the drive-in theater once a year. And it's like an event. You know what I yeah. mean? And I yeah. think movie theaters are going to be like that. And let's face it, like, for as sad as I am, because I love going to movie theaters, I also love popping on my sweatpants and pajamas, cracking open the whiskey, sprawling out on the couch and watching my movie on my, you know, big screen, too. I mean, that is, that's really nice. Pausing so I need to, like, pausing when I need to piss. Yeah. You know, like, or need to go get a beer or yeah, anything like that. It, 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 I, I agree, but... For those of us, though, like <clears throat> going to the movies is it's it's not even necessarily the movie I'm seeing. It's the it's the experience of going to the theater. That's a passion of mine. That's you yeah. know one of the few passions that I have, um, and it's hard for me. It's it that really like uh, we had a, a niece down here that. They did, uh, I don't know if you've been, if they're, I'm sure they're doing it in your areas too, uh, where you can rent a theater like almost dirt cheap, <laughs> like, yep. like for a hundred bucks to see a movie in a theater if you want to. And uh, um, I know some of them, they require like you have to have like a certain amount of concession sales also along with that for that deal to happen. But they were doing a birthday for my niece at one of those and they were going to see Guardians of the Galaxy and Ohio ramped up like the week that was supposed to happen. And I didn't want to go. I just can't. Yeah. It's too big of a risk. And uh, yeah, it's heartbreaking though. I, I, like I, I get that's where it's going to go. And I, I like watching movies in my sweats and I like, I like all those things. Uh, they're, they're all great, but there's nothing that will ever, 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 compare to like a midnight release mm -hmm. and being in an audience that's like jam-packed like like sardines and they're all a bunch of fans for that movie that's about to like pop up on that screen and you can feel that energy there's just something about being in that like packed house and like everybody getting excited on the anticipation of of right. it starting and then and the bass hitting your chest and the greasy ass popcorn that's like awful for you and all those like, sticky like, floors that are sticky for one reason or another. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's you know, all but no, I, I agree. You know, one of my favorite memories I still talk about today, just no, because nostalgic so but memories is uh, we a whole group of me, I was a senior in high school, and we all went to the midnight showing of Titanic. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, like we talk about all that all the time. I mean, so it's a, is my internet choppy? A little bit. Uh, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. No. It's coming um, back, I think. 
Well, and it's like for us cabin kids, that was a big thing. I remember, I remember Jackson holding up the stack of ticket stubs from yeah. like 1998, and they were, it was like it looked like a flip book, like it it was thick. He still I, has them. He's really he was uh, he oh, was home awesome. I think for Christmas. Uh, and, and he lives in he's lived in Europe for the better part of the last ten years, maybe more, but. Um, yeah, he was back and he was sending me pictures of stuff from his, uh, must have been his dad's basement or something. And the ticket stubs were there. And I was like, oh shit. And at, there was one point, because he was proud of them back then. We used to go every week at least once. Um, he and I, and then eventually like it grew to like the cabin kid thing. But for for his birthday one year, I took a, the, one of the greatest pictures of any person I've ever scene which was just like him he's this like curly haired red haired kid giving this really funny face to the camera wearing like tight hawaiian shorts i mean he's like he's got to be like i don't know seven or eight great great face great picture so i did it i don't know if i had the ability to do photoshop or something or maybe even he did this and then i made it a shirt and he didn't know it but it, it was that picture on a white shirt we took it to kinko's and it just said oh the ticket stops i could show you or oh the tickets i could show you <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's a point wow. of pride, pride for him. That's great. I wonder if it will be. I was listening to you all talk, and I realized one that I get my entertainment news from this program, so I'm out of the loop. <laughs> and, and two, <laughs> um, I wonder if it'll be a little bit more like the death of the multiplex, you know, and that that there'll be like fewer screens, yeah. more specialty type things, maybe kind of Alamo Draft House ish. Uh, but also maybe just more like I don't know like um well yeah uh, a lot of you know like Great Oaks and and Wadsworth you know just like the two screen thing by the grocery store you know that would be my dream like to own a theater a two screen theater that you could live over like that would be so awesome uh, yeah it would uh, I think it, times too you know they you can you know if you come to the cinema you get this specific thing I don't know not not you know like a Special feature, a special feature before it. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the director talks about the movie if you stay afterwards, or you know what I mean. There, I think that that there will be that if for people who do love theater, the theater, and maybe have a passion for movies, you can appeal to those people to still bring them to the theater, but you're adding additional. Yeah. I mean, I don't buy I don't buy 4K Blu-rays unless there's you know a director's commentary or something I'm really interested in. Hearing right. that's an additional feature, you know, or and I could see that kind of being a way to draw people in versus how you said, you know, just sprawling out on the couch, which is also a good way. The problem yeah. with me is hey, I'm gonna go watch this new movie and then end up watching Mad Max again. So oh, <laughs> yeah. are you really watching Fury Road for the fortieth time? So uh Twinkie, what do you think? Um I there are rumblings that they might be go actually being able to get the Furiosa movie off the ground. Have you heard that? Yeah, I have heard that. I've heard that. Yeah. Our, uh, our George Miller will be directing, um, and I'm 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 here for it for sure. I uh, the one report that I read was a little disappointing that they're it's unlikely they will be bringing uh, Charlize Theron back. Oh, really? Uh, to play Fury. So much time has passed that they can't 
de-age her enough to hit the like time frame that they're covering for Fur Furiosa, I guess. Yeah. So it's I don't want to live in a world where Charlize Theron is too old to de-age. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I don't know. I can't I imagine what you're saying. You know, I, I, uh, I can understand that. I, I get I get that. I also just get to live in a world where I can watch her kick the living shit out of the post-apocalypse whenever yeah. I, <laughs> I need to go back and watch that movie again. Every time I see Twinkie, I'm like, Jesus, why didn't I watch it? Before you <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you about the last viewing I watched. <laughs> world, he's like that. He's so happy. Oh. Okay. So I, I, we had spoken uh, about 1998 in movies, uh, several different of us. And I happened to look up the top 10 movies of 1998. Can we just talk about that real quick? Omar could probably recite them for you. All well, right, ninety nine. Uh, so <laughs> actually, so should we? I want to know, Palmer, how many you can name just off the top of your head. What do you think? Oh, that's awful. Nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, ninety nine is my year. That's it the is, year yeah. I really, I really followed because there was a, there was just so much good shit in ninety nine. Uh, I, uh, yeah, ninety eight is the, like it's the same thing with the like solve the Rubik's cube. I'm not like yeah. I'm not right, and I can't just like. <laughs> look, at right. oh, oh, look at that! Oh, yeah, there's Rain Man. <laughs> All right, so, so here, according to uh, Roger Ebert, all nine yards is that on there? Is that that's probably I think not that even was 99. Nine. But let's find out. <laughs> I didn't read this yet. Okay. Right. Primary colors. Okay. Do you remember that one? That was like the uh, John Travolta one about the president or something. Yeah, John Travolta. Yeah. yeah. Life is beautiful. I, I saw that in a few. That was like that was Academy of that's the yeah. Roberto Benini. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Um, Talk Shakespeare in love, which one best picture, if I'm not mistaken, oh, right? Best picture. Yeah. Yeah. That. One, okay. Yeah. I remember now why that pisses me off. You know what else is in 1998? <laughs> Saving Private Ryan. Oh yeah. That's a... Yeah. And it beat out by freaking Shakespeare in love. Oh, that just came out. <laughs> if anybody, if we would have known about Goop in 1998, Shakespeare and Love, I'll let you know. Like, if, like, of all the things, if you're going to have a time machine, I need to go tell 98 about Goop. Because that way, having Private Ryan will win Best Picture. Like, yes. You know how fucking batshit crazy Gwyneth Paltrow gets. Woo! <laughs> Yeah. Number seven, Babe, Pig in the City. That'll do, oh. Pig. Number six, Elizabeth, which actually uh, my wife and I just watched a couple weeks ago because we just rewatched The Tudors from Showtime. And so then the we first, were... like, they had a trilogy of Queen yeah. movies. Like, yeah, that's the first. Right? Yeah, that, that was, was one of Steiner's show. Palmer's picks, uh, Elizabeth, I believe. No, uh, it was. was it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Might have been Tudor. Uh, I'm conflicted. With Amadeus and uh, yeah, what was his third? I think maybe it was. I and I I took a film class. We studied that once. That, that movie's wicked. So yeah. this is Roger Ebert's top ten, right? Like his his estimation yeah. of his the yeah. best, not like the top grossing of. But, right, right. All right, this is fascinating. So, okay, number five is Happiness. Holy shit! Jesus <laughs> Christ! Oh my I don't remember that movie. Oh, oh that movie is so title cool. you'll ever hear for a movie. Say, yeah. 
Really? That was a Palmer's Dude. pick for... No, I don't know if it was a, a Palmer's pick of yours, but someone brought it on. Sammy, maybe? Yeah. I came. Oh, God. That movie's fucked up. Don't watch it, Stan. The movie is fucked up. Number four is A Simple Plan by Sam Raimi. And uh, the gr- the late, great uh, Bill Paxton, I think. is Yes. Yes, he is. And Billy Bob Thornton. All right, let's see here. Oh, number three, Saving Private Ryan. There we go. So I remember, like, I saw this probably six times in the theater easily. And do you remember, too, like, this is before, you know, really, like, the internet was, like, wildly, massively popular. And do you remember they created call-in helplines for soldiers experiencing PTSD when they watched that opening scene? I remember that. Yeah, Yeah. call-in lines. That first, like, that you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of, obviously, a lot of veterans that were still alive went and saw it, and they were having, like, you know, it was bringing all of that trauma back up to them. And, like, of course, it's so real. And uh, I remember they created call-in helplines for that, for veterans experiencing PTSD because of watching the first part of Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, and I mean, I remember, obviously, not a veteran, but just when there's a there's a part of the scene where he, go, he gets knocked underwater, and it's quiet, and you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. Just be quiet for a little bit. It's just yeah. upset when you've just been punched repeatedly with this sensory overload, and you get knocked underwater, and you're like, okay, I got to take a breath. Thank you, Steven Spielberg, for letting me breathe for a minute. Oh, that which, of course, did not last long, but yeah. <laughs> right. I could see where that would be an issue. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, also, because we were stupid uh, teenagers, I called it Shaving Ryan's Privates, <laughs> which <laughs> I'm not proud of. I mean, there actually yeah. is a porn called Shaving Privates. Yeah. Are you serious? <laughs> uh, of course. There's porn for everything. I am sure <laughs> there is. Two, <laughs> that's going to be the intro cut. There's porn <laughs> for everything. Uh, <laughs> uh, number two is Pleasantville. This is a, I love this movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I never actually saw that. Movie. I've always meant to, though. Uh, I have to, uh, you haven't seen it? No. Today... I just oh. have to cut today's a fasting day and I told Ash this was going to happen but I haven't e- had anything I haven't eaten since yesterday and I was like I'm going to have a beer or two with the guys and it's going to go right to my fucking head and uh it did so <laughs> <laughs> I I'm going to switch to seltzer after this so I'll still burp I'll still do the uh, microphone that'll still happen those things are uh, required <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm not going to get toasted. They're Swayze. They're encouraged though to uh, to express yeah. yourself, yeah, gastronomically if you if you feel the need. But they're not required. <laughs> yeah. What what's that was number two or number? That was three? number two. All right, let's see what number one was. Let's see. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, Dark City. Oh, oh nice. yeah. Yeah, I think Robert, or I think uh, Robert, I think, what is his name? (laughs) Roger Roger Ebert. Ebert. I think he has a commentary track on the Dark City DVD I have. Really? Uh, Yeah. He could be a masterpiece. Yep. Yeah. Director of The Crow, Alex Proyas. And they share a lot of similarities. You can tell that he was working on one, developing one as he made the other. Dark City is highly underrated. It is underrated. underrated. There's there's like a trilogy of movies that are like that. Uh, well, maybe it's not a trilogy, but I feel like Dark City, 
Um, the City of Lost Children uh, is is kind of has that same vibe to me. And uh, what's the third one? There's Children of Men. No, Children of Men is like that's like that's, so great. that's a saw, great movie too. Yeah, I saw that in the theater with Star. That was intense. That yeah. was a great movie. I'll tell you uh, what, too. That has a great soundtrack. Uh, some whoever redid Ruby Tuesday. It's this Italian uh, Italian opera singer guy, and it's like really slowed down and like completely different arrangement. I love it. I love that that version. If it like give it a listen after this podcast sometime. Ruby Tuesday from the Children of Men soundtrack. Nice. Thanks. Yeah, that's a cool list. Thank you for hitting me with that. It was a, yeah. I, Sam the Man is like the greatest podcast hoster on the planet. You're right. our, you're such a politician. <laughs> yeah, you should definitely give that a listen. It's a great one. Good <laughs> one. Uh, you know what? Uh, so just to just to uh, put a cap on this, so they be. Two honorary mentions are The Truman Show, also great, and a movie that I really dig is uh, What Dreams May Come. Oh, shit. I, we were going through DVDs yeah. this week trying to see if we could get rid of anything, mostly the only the bride stuff, but I considered other things, yeah. and that was on yeah. there, and I almost took... I haven't watched it since it came out, picked it up. I saw it in a theater, um, but I hadn't thought about that movie in years and years, and I was just thinking yeah. about it yesterday. So it's so wild that you say that, and you're you're a fan of yeah, it, right? that is yeah. I I really so I um I'm really fascinated in people's depictions of heaven and hell. Oh, that hell um, scares the shit out of me with the dark waters and the I can still remember yes. it way too clearly, and I saw and it in faces. 1990. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so God. I'm I'm always I'm fascinated by movies that talk about heaven and hell, you know, whether it's movies like Constantine or, you know, on and on and on. Like I'm, I just, I really love it. And there's amazing film too. That's an under talk about underrated gem. Oh yes, Hell yes. Constantine's fantastic. But, um, I just really like it. And I think part of me, why, because, you know, when people ask me, what do I believe in? I literally, I have, I don't know. I do not know. Like I, I don't think that humans really have any idea. Yeah what this life means what happens after it does you know all we do is speculate it's from the beginning of time right when we think about oh greek mythology well they were trying to explain the world and explain death and that's from the, our ancestors to now that's what we do and so i am just i think it's it's a fascination of mine you know just the whole concept of your body versus your consciousness and does your consciousness live on and on and on and on that movie i found really interesting because i think it's a very unique take on the afterlife and I think it's just a really, really interesting story. And I kind of like that version of it, too, like where you kind of get to create your own world. And then if you want to do it again, you can. I, 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 that's really appealing to me. Yeah. I. Oh, man. I'll go, Doug. I'm really starting to lean towards there's nothing. You just it's done. Like, this is all you get. Yeah. I, so, yes, I, I, I go back and forth between that. So that means that. But. Here's the silver lining to that. If that's the way you subscribe, then that tells you I need to leave a legacy. I need to leave the yeah. best legacy I possibly can because otherwise, eventually, the last person who knows you is going to die and you'll disappear forever. That's fucking terrifying. Have you guys seen Coco? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly that mentality. That, like, Have you seen that? Uh, it, it's... 
Okay, so first of all, that's my favorite Disney Pixar movie, like by far. It's uh, it makes me cry every time I watch it, every time. And it's uh, that movie's profound, man. But that's but when you you're right, so they put their pictures on the ofrenda, right? And then when the last person stops remembering, you're just gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, here's a nice little segue. Speaking of Pixar, did uh, you you see the still? They're doing. I don't know if it's a short or a feature length, but it's Lightyear, and it's about it's a Pixar movie about the astronaut that Buzz Lightyear was the Buzz Lightyear toy was based on, and Chris Evans plays the astronaut. So, Whoa. yeah, so uh, they released a, a still of it, and just imagine like Buzz Lightyear as a person animated by Pixar. That, and that's that's, that's going to be awesome. My uh, my son is a giant Toy Story fan, so it'll be great. Hope he has America's ass. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite moment in that movie, perhaps, where he's like, "That is America's ass." When Captain America says that, <laughs> am I making that up? I don't know. Maybe I'm making that up. And I mean, maybe you're just you're just telling us your deepest, darkest thoughts now. Oh no, that's right on the tip of my tongue. I'm happy to say it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, well, I propose we uh, start to share some of these um, favorite th- things of the year. Um, though I welcome all digressions <laughs> at all times. Um, I thought it was just ping pong. I feel bad starting uh, with Double D. I had to step away. Um, but uh, I'm sure he'll catch up. Uh, so I was trying to think where to begin for me, and I, I'll just ch- choose the one that I'm st- like probably currently the most excited about. And if I had to recommend like one thing right now to everyone, this w- this would be it. And so that would be. Oh, and so I, I'll just say too quickly. I have mine broken down by like what they are, like TV or podcast and stuff like that. So, um, but they don't have to be media. So, and I think some of ours aren't. There's no fucking rules. You'll find I have umbrellas. It's just it's a free for all. So anyway, so this thing, this is my, the one thing I'm still the most excited about, and it's very fresh for me is Ted Lasso. Um, have any of you guys seen this show? No, no. Oh, you must. Yeah, but I've heard a lot of really good things about it. It is so delightful. So it's a, about a small time coach, football coach, played by Jason Sudeikis, and he's hired to coach a professional soccer team in England even though he has no knowledge of oh, yeah, on, on Apple TV. I heard of this. Yes. Yes. It's on yeah. Apple TV. It, I mean, it's a very simple premise and, uh, it's a, like a half hour, I would say comedy, but it has so much heart. So, um, and it's getting a lot of, uh, sort of momentum. People are talking about it and, um, double D stepped away, but he had, uh, suggested to me the, podcast unlocking us which is Brene brown's podcast and she had jason sudeikis and uh the co-creator on there brendan hunt and she was she was like i'm also the unofficial uh president of the fan club of ted lasso and uh and she was saying so i brought that up because she asked a bunch of therapists before she got to talk to them um you know why they thought like the response has been so positive and the three things that they came up with are joy possibility and goodness and that is a great sort of thing to have in mind when you think about uh watching the show um 
Vanity Fair, there's a Vanity Fair article po- published just last week called Bring Ted Lasso Energy Into Your Life by Maureen Ryan that starts with the sentence, after a cruel 2020, the humane ideas behind Apple TV's defiantly good-hearted Jason Sudeikis comedy actually feel kind of important. So it's um, it's a very unassuming show. He's a very unassuming character. It started from like a, a series of like TV spots, I think when I, I might be getting this wrong, but I think like NBC acquired the rights to, you know, show soccer in the U S or some something. And so Jason Sudeikis played this, like uh, this folksy character in these TV spots. And then they developed it into the show, but it is uh, the bride and I are on our second time through that. We haven't watched the finale of season one yet. It's been renewed for one or two more seasons. And uh, it's just so delightful. Like when you first watch it, like the first episode, you ha- you have to kind of you got to give it a couple, maybe two or three. I mean, I I have not heard of anyone who's watched it and said anything other than that they love it so much because it just makes you feel so good. Uh, but um, it it feels a little cheesy, maybe. But part of the th- some of the, what it does so well is like turn certain stereotypes on their head. Like you think it's going to be one thing. Like it feels a lot like Major League at the beginning, the movie. If I'm if I if I'm if I'm remembering that correctly, it's like they want to purposely have a bad team. The owner does, or am I making that up? Yeah, so they have an excuse to sell the team to move to Florida. Yes, there's there's Ugh. a similar vibe like that where the owner of the team ha- has is in a nasty divorce and she wants to tank the team to spite her ex-husband and so she brings in this like hapless american guy who's just like oh you know oh shucks like midwestern dude um like but starting there it's just like all the sort of stereotypes are, are, are fall by the wayside and it's just consistently i think they're half hour episodes yeah i'll just come back to that it's the uh joy possibility and goodness it's so great um, my heart just swells. Can I ask talking you a about question, it. like a very specific question about it. Not, not like about the plot or anything else, but the one of the things I've read that made me add it and I want to start watching it. I'm still trying to work through Westworld, but anyway, um, the, this is the comment that got me interested. This show is the antidote to toxic masculinity. Oh, yeah. no, I can wow. see that. Yeah. So I'm curious, just throwing that sentence out to you do you feel like that 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 allows like you be masculine and not have all of this ridiculousness and as i speak that as someone who watches football every sunday and (laughs) sees the ridiculousness um associated with it yeah i could that that that's that idea resonates a lot like and it seems very obvious but it's not heavy-handed i would say i mean i that never occurred to me that phrase but um yeah it's a there's a lot of vulnerability in it there's a lot of account personal accountability like when you fuck up like and, and like that's those are story points you know and uh yeah there's a lot of it's weird because the, in, in this interview with the uh, brene brown who, who well he, she does i think her most of her research is about vulnerability um but uh, they, Jason Sudeikis and Brendan Hunt like threw out some names uh, as though they were referencing sort of, I'm going to say like modern philosophers. I don't know if that's true or if they're just like sort of, you know, nonfiction writer, thinker type 
you know, self-help folks, but, um, or, or if perhaps they're old philosophers I never heard of, <laughs> but there's definitely some ideas at play, but the, the creative execution of it, <clears throat> it rewards repeat viewing just for the sense, for what it, how it feels to watch it. But also like, it's really like tightly compacted and there's always like things going on and it is obviously a, um, a very thoughtful show, but it plays like pure fluff and, uh, yeah, I can't recommend it enough. A little, a little sidebar is so one of the things about the toxic masculinity is like there's a really angry player who is like maybe he's he's close to retirement age for for a footballer, and uh, and then there's like a really cocky young player, and then there's this dynamic that plays out between uh, them. But the really angry older player, his uh, he's played by um, by an actor called Brett Goldstein, who's also involved in like the creative of the show. And uh, so his character, Roy Kent, is just like, fuck off kind of guy. Like, it's just yelling at everyone really tough. But he has the thing, like, when he, where he will say, like, he's sorry and kind of show, show the little, like, he, he seems like he's going to be the, he would be the guy that could never admit that he's wrong. But he, he is the one who can from like that dichotomy so that's kind of what i mean where like it plays against stereotypes but in unexpected and layered ways like for instance that never occurred to me that about roy um but my little side note is that so the guy brett goldstein who plays roy kent has a podcast called films to be buried with so this is not related to ted lasso other than he's on ted lasso it's just a little side note um and, and the, the premise of that is each week he invites over a guest, he tells them that they've died, and then he gets them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. And that's a oh. tie for those two things for me about which one is my favorite right now. Cause they bo- and he carries that same energy. He's the, he's the, he plays that surly guy in the show, but he's such a lovely dude. The show makes me cry sometimes just for the sweetness of like how he treats people. And they're talking about their lives through movies. Oh, it's fucking great. So that's my first sort of umbrella one. What was the name of the podcast again? Films to be buried with. So it, be buried. yeah, oh. the idea is like you, you're in heaven and they're like, or you died. So like what, when you look back at your life, what was your favorite or what was the movie that scared you the most? What was the sexiest film for you? It's hard for me not to talk like him because <laughs> uh, I do all the time right now for, to the bride. <laughs> Each week, I invite a special guest over. I tell them they died, and then I let them discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. <laughs> anyway, I recommend those things. So get it. So get an Apple Plus subscription trial. It's like a week for free, and then it's only five dollars after that. I'm literally paying for it just to rewatch Ted Lasso, maybe over and over again forever. But five dollars? Yeah, that's that's the that's the monthly fee for Apple TV. But you can get a free trial and watch it on that. What else is, uh, I, I, I'm curious, oh, in addition, all of this is intriguing, so I'm sold on this show, but also, can you, like, ex- describe the additional features of Apple TV? Do you feel like it's a worthwhile streaming service? I actually do. I, I like it a lot because it, it syncs your iTunes library, and it presents your iTunes library like Netflix would present, you know, all Netflix has to offer. Everything that yep. you've ever bought on iTunes movie-wise or TV-wise shows up like that. So it's not like you can browse stuff, but for me, like I've only bought like a handful of things that I couldn't get through other means. So part of me, even though I have those things, I could bring them up on what? Apple TV, not Apple TV Plus, just like kind of 
screen mirror or whatever, part of me wants to keep the service just to be able to navigate to it, <laughs> to those things through the, through the app. So I really like the app. It is tied to an Apple ID. So you can't yeah. share it with other yeah. people, which for some reason I kind of like as well. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Well, unless like you do it. family on your Apple ID, so I'd be able to share it with Ash. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Family things. I think so. of Twinkie often when I think about Apple TV, because uh, isn't that where you buy the, the cheap stuff on iTunes? You're like, don't ask why, just buy. It's yeah. funny you bring that up because number five on my <laughs> list of things I'm grateful for in 2020 is the 499 iTunes deals. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, most recently, I just picked up Hunt for Red October. God rest Sean Connery. Um, Sean Connery. And uh, have enjoyed the hell out of that. So, yes, it really is. It's on my list. At, oh, sorry. It's number four of iTunes 499 deals. I know in a world of streaming, Another we, stream. we don't really need to buy things anymore. But occasionally, I'm just like, yeah, but out of principle. I want to own this this movie. Like there's I just if I'm gonna say movies, I should have to own this. So yeah. but if it's digitally, do you really own it? Well, yeah, that's to be determined. Notorious for you losing stuff that you quote unquote bought. Yeah. And then Amazon sells off the rights and you don't own it anymore. So right. um, but yeah, so uh yeah, for sure. I, I just hang in there. You never know what's going to come around for four ninety nine, and you're just like out of principle. I have to purchase this. <laughs> well, and it would show up in your uh, your Apple Plus library, and you can navigate to it just like a streaming service. Exactly, and, and and then you'll be like me. You'll be like, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to watch this thing, and then your library will pop up, and Mad Max Fury Road will pop up. <laughs> and an hour later, and an hour later you're watching. Charlie's Theron beat the shit out of idiots in the post. Do you, do you consume any of the other Mad Max movies at with this amount of fe like fever or is occasionally? It so I will watch Road Warrior. The other two, I I admit to being a little more challenged by. Yeah. Um, Fury Road is. I've talked about this at length. I'm not going to talk about it too much here. I will just say that it takes action movies and it changes the game. Yeah, makes it about ideas that have not been discussed in action movies before. Yeah. So, side note, uh, the place where I got my tattoos is called Sweet Baby Octane, and an homage to Mad Max. Yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's. I mean, it is action movie blood mixed with ideas that um would challenge even probably the most progressive person. But anyway, hey, I just not. Hey, we're like an hour and fifteen minutes in, and I got one of my top tens out there. Very nice. Like long walk, short drink. Uh, perfect. <laughs> Always forty minutes from where we want to be. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. That's what I love about it. Stand the man. You want to get? You want to get one out? One of your top ten out? Uh, well, I would love to get one of my top ten out. I just gotta say, with the red hat, I don't know why, but you've got this really Yukon uh, Cornelius vibe going on. Ah, standing man, I love, it. I love it. Have you seen his Facebook post about this very topic? <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> he posted this meme that said, "Why does every leftist chick's uh, lover look like Cornelius from Rudolph?" <laughs> and I, uh, <laughs> and 
like the first comment was me and i said what do you mean and i posted this picture of myself from last week and like my beard was washed so it's like really it's like out to here when it's all done and my mouth is all curled and i have a beanie on with like my mask is hanging from my ear but it looks like the long like hat and i'm smiling and it looks exactly like it I mean, it's, uh, all right yeah. i'm going for it now i'm gonna have to check that out yeah check it out check it out i will see what yeah i want to see a reaction on that in real time Oh my gosh. Oh, I think God. I misunderstood the top 10 list, but we'll just kind of wing it. I thought wing it was like it. top 10 things that happened to you this year, but that That's, wasn't it at all. That sounds legit. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> um, but uh, I'll, I'm going to go with, God, I'm going to go with a, uh, my top 10 show for 2020. I mean, I know we literally just did that, but um, for me, it was Mad Men again for the third oh, time. Right. I mean, I, I watched it all again and I can't wait to watch it again. It's so good. It's That's so awesome. good. So for me, it was Mad Men again, but uh, my, my, uh, bring this back. Yeah. Bring, oh, it is. Well, how about that? Well, bringing it back to the, uh, what we were talking about a little bit ago. If we're talking new shows, Amazon had a show this year called Good Omens, and uh, it was a bit, yeah, it's about Armageddon, um, but it's a sort of like dark comedy, and it's interesting. It sort of takes you through, you know, follows these angels and this demon through like the Garden of Eden all the way to present day and the, the rise of this like kid Antichrist, and they both love living in the world so much. They are both working against the, their, you know, Gabriel and the other angels to try to stop it from happening, but uh, you know, Don Draper plays the Archangel Gabriel in oh, um, nice. as well, so it all connects in the great circle of life. Very nice for me, yeah. Gabriel is played by the Christopher Walken, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in the prophecy. Oh, Chris Walken, we. We got to talk prophecy someday. Stan, I, I'm curious. Uh, have you seen that movie based on what you described enjoying about heaven and hell and, and that show? Are you what, familiar what movie the, is it? It's called The Prophecy, 1995. Oh, I, think. I know exactly what you're talking about, but I have not seen that. Oh, you oh, must. You man. will love it. You will love it. Shit, we're okay. going to need a prophecy episode because that's yeah. Funny. Yeah, that would be good. All right. Twiki, wasn't that something you wanted to discuss at some point, or am I putting that? Oh well, no! I'm I'm happy. We let's do some prophecy. Let's even go like prophecy. What is there two and three? <laughs> oh, yeah. like, I've never seen yeah. those, but progressively less quality, I would assume. But yeah. hey, I think it's like prophecy five or six, actually. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous! Like, hang on, let me look. Well, Stan the man, my wife is a huge Neil Gaiman fan. So, oh yeah, he's uh, wonderful. Yeah, so actually, Dark Omens, of course, is his stuff. And then there's what is it, American Gods? I think it's on Showtime. Which we yeah. have, have um, but at some point may break down and get just to watch American Gods. It's it's interesting. the uh, The books are much better, um, but the show is interesting. It, yeah. it's, it's worth a watch for sure. Yeah, Palmer, I think you turned me on the new gaming, right? Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, San, the Sandman series alone right. is worth it, and then uh, is worth any is worth investing in Neil Gaiman, and then. Uh, he did a really good Superman story. I think it's like I forget what it's called, uh, but it, it um, or maybe Batman. He did a really good uh, one of those characters, like take on one of those characters. But 
American Gods is easily one of the best novels, like of pieces of fiction that I've read. Uh, and if you do it on audio, it's read by the great um, George Guadel. So he does a fantastic job reading that. Uh, but I also recommend the Graveyard Book. Yeah, by Neil I, Gaiman. I, know that one. I wrote a song adapting that. I liked it so much. Yeah. And Neil Gaiman reads that oh. audiobook. That's yeah. yeah. And the, the audiobook is him like reading it to a live audience. It's fantastic. Uh, so the Graveyard Book is really good. And uh, but I, I definitely want to check out this um, Bad Omens. I've heard this is like seventh time. It's like come to me that it's a fantastic. It's a, I enjoyed it. It's only six episodes. You know, it's like a short miniseries. Yeah. I enjoyed the hell out of it. It was fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I uh, well, you know, Dave just mentioned you know music. I do have a top ten in music. Do we want to keep going around though? Since I just went and saved that. Yeah, yeah put a pin on that. I, I got well, let's ping pong around and try to do like yeah, okay. a, I don't know how people appear on the screen, but I, we haven't heard from Double D at all yet. Double D hit us with uh, I don't know what are your things. No, I'll I'll, ch- I'll just pop in, and this is one that I talked to um, Palmer about. But uh, Ricky Gervais uh, Netflix series Afterlife, and came out with a second series or a second season. Um, oh my gosh, this thing is this thing is just crazy. Um, I'm a I'm a big Ricky Gervais fan. <laughs> um, like his stand up a lot. Um, he's got a couple of good stand up uh, routines and stuff like that on Netflix. One is just terrific. Um, and then, uh, but yeah, this Afterlife, it's just. It is just so powerful. Um, huh. I mean, like ugly cry, and then just like Peter Pants laughing all in one episode. Um, now, like, Double D wasn't around for our discussion of the afterlife, and he is now just mentioning it. Everything is simpatico tonight. Yeah, yeah. It's the way it usually works on this show. I like yeah. that. So, after talking with Palmer, he turned me on to Derek, which we just kind of we're only a couple episodes in, but. Um, Are you liking that so far? Yeah, liking that so far too. Act and I absolutely love that. So we have to check out Afterlife because it sounds like they kind of run along in the oh same my gosh. a little bit. So, um, it's, like I'm telling you, I don't know who was talking about it coming in late, but holy cow, it is like just be ready. Like it will just kick you right in the nuts. Um, yeah. But oh my, it's just so powerful. It's such a good show. And and speaking of simpatico, Brett Goldstein, who I was talking about, films to be buried with Ted Lasso. He plays a character called Tom and Derek, which I haven't seen, but maybe you guys would know. That's who that is. The surly soccer player is yeah. Tom and Derek. I don't know if that means anything to you, but gotcha. Well, uh, Derek is just this little like I don't even think they continued the series, but it's just so good. Uh, really, really, it's same thing. Piss your pants in the one episode and be crawling, crying your eyes out in the same one. So, uh, really worth checking out. It's like an Adam Sandler thing, though. Like it's the, it's there's a lot of the same cast oh, in both of those like, series. It's terrific. He, um, he definitely collects people and will bring them along for the ride on his projects, which is creepy. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, I just. Um, just watched Mr. Deeds like two nights ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know why the Adam Sandler thing just sparked yeah. that. Um, falling asleep on me when we were watching, I don't know, a stand up comedy person. Um, 
<clears throat> and so she was out. So it was like, I don't know, midnight or whatever when the comedy routine was done. And I was just like, click. Because <laughs> um, I saw it came out on, on Netflix. So yeah. I was like, yeah, let's try this. Um, and so it, like, it was like 1.40 in the morning or whatever <laughs> when we finally shut it down. Um, but I was like, oh, my gosh. Because I was thinking like, oh, man, I need to watch this with my kids. And then I was like, no, not quite yet. <laughs> like, <laughs> Isn't uh, Mr. D's the one where he has like his his uh foot is like Blackfoot, yeah. Blackfoot, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Hey, Winona Ryder. Yeah. Um, uh, so. the butler is just the best. Oh, bit of it is sneaky. Like always there. Yeah. Always there. Bit of sneaky, sir. I think you don't notice to me any sneakiness, sir. <laughs> uh, so very good. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then we just started, like, we just started in on this whole, um, I guess there's there's a show out. You guys, I don't know, it's kind of, you may not have heard of it. It's called Schitt's Creek. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we, like, we just started to get into that. Um, that's, that's kind of our little guilty pleasure, because they're short little episodes, so we can burn yeah. through a few of those. That um, show is really good. Oh, my gosh. So, so funny. Yeah. Just so that, talking, talking about shows, that I'll, that'll cut to my first one. Uh, one of the things that Ash and I did this year that uh, we have been putting off because it's so awkward and talking about Ricky Gervais, Simpatico, Jesus Christ, uh, we finally went through the the American version of The Office uh, completely. And, uh, seasons of that in about two months, we just like burned through it. Wow. it was They're only 20 minute long episodes, to be fair, to be fair. Even uh, Scott's Tots? <laughs> oh, that that one! I kept my nose buried in my phone. Uh, so we really um, had never made it past the second season, and that's just because it makes us so socially uncomfortable to like we couldn't yeah. do it. And uh, season three is really where they started to make uh, give Michael Scott some redeemable qualities. And so once we got there, it, it really was kind of a breeze, but. Man, what a fantastic show! And just oh, yeah. like the the like Pam and Jim love story was just done so well, and just like constantly reaffirming their love in a realistic way that didn't seem like I don't know. It was very relatable, very relatable. Yeah, uh, you you know what? You're right. People forget how awkward, especially that first season of The Office is. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh it, it, it's, it's almost a direct lift of the British version of The Office, yeah. which Richard Gervais plays that character as well as like was the creator of the show. And it he plays that character as biting like it's it, like it, 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 it's yeah, I know I'm this way and I don't care that I'm this way. And it kind of it works for his interpretation of the character. But Steve Carell was just like this buffoon who was also that biting and. Um, I think when they really started to focus on the, but he, these are the people he cares about the most and he would die for them. Like there was yeah. no, never, once they established that, there's never any question of that, that he would literally do anything he had to for those people. So um, that really uh, helped us get through to that part. And then by season four and five, you're just so invested in everyone there. I, that was another thing I think that really, like there was change, like you know, uh, Steve Carell leaves at one point, like leaves the show, and that really was kind of like the downfall of it. I feel like, but yeah. 
the the core contingent of people there just stayed the same, which was great. You know, like Mer the woman that played <laughs> Meredith Palmer and Stanley and uh, all of those Creed. people. Creed like <laughs> meant so much. Mose, Mose is only in like five <laughs> episodes. <laughs> like the fucking fantastic. Like yes. so, um, that's what really uh, I for me really sold it was that like the 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 character actors staying the same the entire time um was really good. So that that would be the first one on my list, I think, that I would cover since and it, it just worked with what we were talking about, would be the office. Uh, so. Did you do you have a favorite episode? Oh man! I, so I really like the episode when Pam and Jim go to stay at the beet farm when he starts the Airbnb. <laughs> uh, it's just it's surreal. It's it's yes. like you, it's just as surreal for you because the whole dynamic of Jim and Dwight is eroded because now he's it's a business thing right and right. so it's worthwhile for him to be nice to jim so you're put off guard just as much as they are uh because it's it's against that dynamic that the show has built up that entire time uh that one would definitely be up there i just absolutely love love so many things about that episode are so good Most, like in the corner when because uh, he has to carry the bags up but he's hiding behind the grandfather clock so he doesn't like, <laughs> like he's there and like they pull up in the car and he like runs he's by running. the car and he's like looking at them while he's running and then like veers off into the field. Oh, for some yeah. reason that is insanely funny to me. The running he ran yeah. away in another episode, I think. Like when people run away, I find that really funny. Like grown ass people <laughs> running away is one, it might be my. It might be the thing I find most consistently funny, and especially if it's like on a dime. And Moses is great at that. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it, the there's another episode too when they're having some event at the farm, and he's the valet to drive, like to park the car, and he like ramps the car, like jumps it in the cornfield. Oh man, so fit. Moses was such a like one of my like favorite characters for sure. Well, he's the dude that created uh, the Good Place, right, Michael Sure. I believe I believe the guy that plays Moe's is, is part of the creative team of The Office, but I believe he's the creator of The Good Place. Oh, really? Show, oh. Which is a great show. Yeah, wait, no, that is a fantastic. Talk about life and death. That's a fantastic show that explores some great yeah. philosophy with that. So if you have not seen The Good Place, dude, it's totally worth checking out. It's oh, I have not seen it. Oh, man. You <laughs> have no idea. Like, like, oh, it's so good. There oh, well. They're not allowed to swear, so they just like, what the fork? <laughs> it takes place that's in heaven, uh, and yeah, that's the good place. I don't know. That's all I'll say for now. <laughs> but all right, it's yeah. very worthwhile. Uh, j just a quick aside. I think my favorite office uh, office episode is the uh, marathon nipples. Yeah. <laughs> 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 he eats the fettuccine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so gross! I know. Oh, so good. I'm so glad to, to that you finally watched that and could enjoy the, you know, enjoy it like you know you hear about. <laughs> yeah. Well, and now I'm in on all the jokes. I get them now. So, <laughs> which is nice. So, did, did you watch Parks and Rec? Different people. We have not watched Parks and Rec yet. No. Oh man. I love Arts and Rec. Yeah, that's a, that's worthwhile too. 
Yeah. Tweaky, what's your next one? Uh, okay, so the next one is for me is media, but it's it's very personal media, and it's actually academic media, which is weird. But it's called uh, something. It's something that I discovered actually earlier this year. So I think, or maybe even the end of next year, but I signed up for this year, and it's called the Journal of Amish and Plain Anabaptist Studies. Um, and briefly, for all of you who may not know my background, uh, for all of you wonderful long walk, short drink listeners, I grew up in a church that was basically like a Mennonite light, um, you know, or mechanized Amish, if you will. Um, and so this is a professor who has a, he's based out of, I believe it's the University of Akron now. It originally was Ohio State University. Um, but basically has an academic journal that publishes twice a year and it studies inside the United States, basic, you know, primarily plain Anabaptist groups um, and Amish people of which my, the church that I grew up in is one of the groups that is studied. Um, disclaimer, I hold none of the beliefs <laughs> of the church that I grew up in. Um, Talk about episodes we need to do. That, that we've been teasing doing this episode since you came on the first time. Yeah. <laughs> well, we this might be an opportunity to do it. Yeah, uh, I, I discovered this journal because they published a paper specifically about the church that I grew up in, and then ended up subscribing. I think it's like fifty dollars a year, um, and they study all kinds of topics um, to like very very topical things like. Uh, for example, COVID testing within the Amish community to more, um, you know, academic topics of, I don't know, gender fluidity within the Amish community or whatever. So, you know, things that may not. Not a phrase I thought I'd hear today. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. Um, but it is something I find completely fascinating and helpful because part of my journey, I think, is wrestling with all of these things that I grew up with that are still a part of me. I can't, I don't, I'm not really interested in getting rid of them or, or, or pretending like they didn't happen or anything like that, but how they shape who I am going forward as a very progressive person. I don't share a lot of the, the beliefs that, that I grew up with, but some of the things that I carry with me, whether it's, <clears throat> Um, maybe somewhat awkward honesty sometimes, or um, maybe a sense of compassion when other people don't necessarily have that for people. Because growing up in a pacifist church, there's some of those things still affect me. So, yeah, so finding this was like, ah, someone with a PhD who has some insight into some of these things and uh, can shed a little different light and look at things from a different angle has been really enlightening and therapeutic and terrifying <laughs> at times. Um, but really cool. Um, and I look forward to every time they publish, they just published a couple weeks ago and it, it takes a commitment to read a couple of those articles. You know, they're the, they're, they're, they're papers written by academics. And so they're, challenging for me to read sometimes but um yeah that's uh 
been a really great experience and I will leverage that in my long walk, short drink episode for sure. So what was the name of the, the publication again? Yeah. So the shorthand is J A P A S. And even if you Google that, but it's the journal of Amish and plain Anabaptist studies. And it is in association with the University of Akron or collaboration with. Well, that, that's where the, I think he's based out of now. The ori- It was originally based out of Ohio State University because Ohio State University had a rural studies program and it kind of fell underneath that. Um, I believe I would love to interview this this man. I believe the 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 guy with a PhD is still a member of like a plain Anabaptist church. Like he looks you know, he's bearded, he wears plain clothes, he has all of the the personal commitments regarding, you know, what you would see from maybe like a Mennonite, like a conservative Mennonite, if that means anything to people, but yet has a PhD and studies all of these, this broad range of people. And I find that completely fascinating. I would love to like probe the mind of this individual, but um, yeah, uh, it's a lot of this stuff is behind a paywall. You know, you can't necessarily read this stuff unless you're signed up, which is unfortunate. Um, but when I do to get a chance to sit down and read about gender roles in the Amish community, um, it is something I find enjoyable. And, and I watch like, Hey, I tell my, my wife, you know, I, I just read this great article and then her eyes start to glaze. Oh, <laughs> which is totally fine. It's boring to most people, but it is very meaningful to me. And I, uh, it was a great find. I'm excited to support something like that. Maybe we could bring him on as a guest. If we do the apostolic episode. Oh man, I would totally be the contact for that and try to make that happen. I would love to have that discussion with like my emotional kind of, you know, very relational view to have someone with a more, removed and academic view would be and then and then to hear you know dave and palmer and whoever else that has seen it from a, a very, yeah, yeah. From a, yeah you know you grew up with people you you know you've been to the church like one or two times probably for special events maybe um and to hear those kind of two things bounce off each other or three you know three things with with your perspective would be a delight yeah no i think that would be awesome uh, yeah, that'd be I think one of the times I've been to the church was to was for your baptism, actually. Hey, did you go when I left? I did not go when you left. Is there actually a ceremony that happened? You didn't go either. Yes, thank goodness. Yeah, you left. I, I was like, uh, I was so so into that. Like, there's a there's a you know an entrance and an exit ceremony. Yeah. So you were just yeah, I would have been a part right? of that for sure. Spoilers, there is an exit ceremony, but we'll save that. Oh, yeah. Long walk. Wow. Oh, you got to yeah. make this happen. We need to know. I need to know. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, I was so troubled, actually. You're, you're, uh, I wanted to be there and be supportive, but the amount of like you're like the old you is dying. Like we're drowning the old you and the new you who's like subservient and like all that is, is like, I'm like, I don't want my friend to die. Like I get, I, I, I understand he's making a commitment. I get that, but like he shouldn't have to die to do that. That's bullshit. Uh, it really pissed me off. 
turns out it didn't really work out. So, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, thank, I I don't want to say thankfully, but because I'm sure that was a very difficult decision for you. But I I am grateful that I get to spend time with you, even in this capacity, uh, where um, I don't think that opportunity would have been there. Um, well, I mean, it shaped me. It, it shaped me. We we start there and we say it shaped me in some good ways. I took I try to the, the 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 wrestle the wrestling match I have with this and that this has helped me with is identifying the positives that I can sure. use in my life and in interacting with people and also pushing aside and acknowledging and dealing with the very obvious negatives. So. And we all have those things. It's just mine is in the context of a weird ass fundamental slash evangelical slash Anabaptist church thing. <laughs> I, have a, I have a similar background growing up to that. So okay. I would love to be on that episode too. Yeah. My, I, I always, I refer to my church as the cult church. Well, you're I, locked in. So yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Suddenly this is all I want to hear about, but maybe this, this, this uh, PhD person would be a great guy through, yeah. <laughs> well, also, I would love like for the, the two of you to be able to lead, you know, to ask the questions you would want to know most about. Or, or yeah, boy, I wonder if you could talk someone like that though into coming on a program like this. <laughs> I think so. I really do. I think honestly, if you just lay it out and say, "Hey, this is the concept," you know, I would honestly be very clear to them about what they're getting into. But I have no doubt that they would be interested in doing it. I really don't. I think that would be I great. Be I, mean, I can be respectful too. I, I don't have to swear. I think you could just be you. Yeah. Um, because you're not disrespectful. I think you just ask very clear questions and, and, and hundred percent be Palmer and it'd be hundred, it'd be totally fine. I don't, Yeah. there's no reason to change anything. I, I think you just want them to let them know what their role is in sure. the discussion and that's it. Yeah, no. And I think that would be, I, I, oh man, especially if, if both of you uh, feel like you might be able to gain some kind of insight to what you're dealing, what you've dealt with uh, as a result of the impact of this. So um, I think that would be a fascinating conversation that I would love to be a part of uh, and yeah. to be a part of if you'd be willing to go, because I'm sure there's going to be a pretty large emotional investment involved in that conversation so to be uh the privilege of being a part of that would be huge uh for sure but uh man that would be fascinating to me absolutely fascinating i really believe because i come from that background that given the opportunity to just share and talk about stuff especially someone who's in academia who that's their job to make those discussions more, you know, to be, create awareness for that. I have no doubt, especially when you come from when they know, I mean, this person spent, so I became aware of this because of this person, his name is Corey Anderson, um, did a specific study in for multiple years of the church, I, the denomination I grew up in. So yeah. he visited their congregations. He, he spoke with uh, attendees and, you know, ministers and, whatever people who control thing, elder people. Um, and so has a level of passion for it and understanding about it and that shown commitment to it. So I have no doubt that um, there'd be an interest. Oh, no, that's man that, Oh, I'm so excited to be a part of that 
conversation, just to listen to that conversation happening even. Yeah. We'll follow up offline and yeah, absolutely. Get some dates and put something together. That sounds great. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Hit us with another one. Yeah. So uh, let's see. Next on my list we'll do is uh, Mandalorian on Disney plus. Um, choice. My God. I'm like three episodes behind though on the current season. And I've heard they're like three amazing episodes. So I certainly won't discuss anything regarding plot or anything like that, but I will just say as just a fan, just like in general of star Wars, what I've come to acknowledge is that at least for a while here, Disney has excelled at creating smaller stories and kind of vignettes and, looks into the universe i maybe didn't attach myself as well to some of the major theatrical stories i enjoyed them they're fine they're wonderful but mandalorian for whatever just really scratches an itch that i i just really appreciate um and how they're telling the story it varies from episode to episode of course and different directors and um, how it, how it has been able to, in just its own way in like a 20 minute episode, change the way I viewed entire movies in the star Wars universe, just with a little bit of backfill and a little bit of clarification really made me appreciate various, various movies in their entirety. So um, that, that, that series for me has been, a real highlight of the year. Have any of you out of any watched it? I know Palmer said he's, he started uh, season two. Yeah. I'm a little behind on season two, but it is, uh, I cannot disagree with that sentiment at all. Um, it, I feel like it, I don't know. It, it pings something that even the uh, trilogy just did not even having like all that, Nostalgia just crammed in by a board of people and Rise of the Skywalker even doesn't ping it the same way that the show does for me. It feels Star Wars to me, maybe a little bit more than those did. Yeah. Just like, it's a TV show, so there's some production like shortcuts. And, uh, sure. uh, I don't know. I mean, the, my love of Mandalorian isn't meant to disparage the other things. It's just... yeah. It, it it feels like I'm experiencing that universe again with all its bumps and warts and whatever else. Yep. So I know I know Dave had maybe mentioned that he wasn't you'd watch season one, but it wasn't hundred percent like meshing with you a little bit. Is that accurate? I'd be curious to see if if you did start season two, if that would be something that would change because season two is, I wouldn't say a dramatic departure in quality or story, but it is each episode definitely carries a little more weight to it than season one did. Yeah. I've started what we're, uh, I'm trying to think if it's three or four episodes in. Okay. Um, and there's some things brought up that I'm curious about. I really think what it is for me is, uh, I need, I, I don't, I can't have, these masked figures judge dread i never made it through i just can't do that 
I there's no connection there for me. And That's really interesting. Yeah, and so I don't want to spoil anything or have anything spoiled, but I have sort of some hopes about that. <laughs> but uh, it's like me in live action. Yeah, I, I but I can also appreciate. I do appreciate the things, um, the kind of throwback quality to it, and um, the. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't click for me as as well as as I remember Palmer really thought that would like the Western thing. I don't know why. I generally. I insert the character of Martin Blank from Gross Point Blank, John Cusack's hitman character, into the Mandalorian suit because the voice is similar. <laughs> and that really helps me. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think it's certainly nostalgic. Like, and as you, none of you have kind of caught up with the latest episodes. As you get there, maybe if you think back to my comments, it might make just a bit more sense because they're definitely like deep diving into the nostalgia well. <laughs> So there is a little bit of fan service in in the latest episode. I haven't watched, of course, tonight's episode, but uh, I think it's fourteen or fifteen. I don't remember now. Oh yeah, just like, chapters. Yeah, have you seen the original Star Wars trilogies? Then you will enjoy this episode of The Mandalorian. You know, like that kind of thing. So. <laughs> That's great. It, it's made me excited for the other stuff. Uh, um a lot to the um, Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan show. Like I'm really excited That's gonna be great. to see this, this style of storytelling done with the, those characters. Um, I, I heard announced today that Hayden Christensen will be reprising the role as Darth Vader for that show. Oh, yeah. interesting. which yeah. for some reason, like I got goosebumps when I read that, like, <laughs> that maybe Stanley me... did not. Yeah, look at Stanley. <laughs> you underestimate my power. Well, I will say this: one of my coworkers turned against me. <laughs> the, the, the sentiment that Stan is is kind of saying right now, and I will say that I lay a lot of the acting at the feet of one Mr. George Lucas's yeah. direction and screenwriting, and and again. I mean, God love George Lucas, like I do, but given an opportunity to see some of those people reprise those roles with a, a little bit of a different perspective, yeah, I feel like the result might be slightly different. Yeah, I agree. By, by the way, one of the funniest memes to this day that I laugh at constantly <laughs> when I think about it is someone asked a question, if you could put the word fuck into any line in any of the star wars movies <laughs> just one where would you put it oh. <laughs> and the person <laughs> the picture with obi-wan saying fuck you anakin i have the high ground <laughs> <laughs> see i thought when, when uh, they inserted the no and we were like no no <laughs> When he realizes he's Darth Vader, be like, "Fuck, fuck!" <laughs> I'll be there for that. That's that's a tweak I get on board with. <laughs> I actually like Hayden Christensen in those movies. I I accept the the limitations of the direction and stuff because I remember that from the first one where George Lucas was talking about like when Anakin left his mother and stuff and how he had more emotional takes but he was going for a thing or had committed to a certain convention and I was fascinated by that idea I don't think it works very well obviously <laughs> but um, 
yeah within the context of it i actually like hayden christensen so i'm glad to hear that yeah I mean, it, it turns out you can still like star wars and 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 also recognize that there's some limitations to <laughs> some of the production and directing and writing like all those things are okay it's okay to realize that it's a little bit of a gray area sometimes yeah well after all only siths see things in black and white Oh, <laughs> very nice. I'm in. <laughs> well, in order to keep, you know, you know, make sure we get all yours. Um, I'm not sure oh, how yeah. I'll tee them up. Okay. Like, throughout. Dude, I got two more real right. serious ones. The first one is people, humans. Um, 2020 has revealed to me, um, I guess, just like how much I value decent and kind like even if i don't agree with them people <laughs> um but but wow has 2020 shown us a lot about who we all are uh or at least for me uh co-workers who i thought i was like yeah i'm pretty cool with this person wow <laughs> no thank you uh, please uh let's uh not take breaks together and we will talk about only work things from now on. Yeah. Um, but also on the flip side of that, really decent human beings revealing themselves has also been enlightening and enjoyable and heartwarming and all of those things. So uh, that defined 2020 for me a lot is uh, both people in my life and then also just people in general, you know, like, my phone would light up with a text from the long walk short drink crew. It would just be like a lot of days, like uh, an oasis in a desert of just shit people. Um, and <laughs> that was really great to experience. So nothing worse than shit people, uh, man. It's like, it's, oh, it's okay that you and I disagree on things. I get it. Like I, don't I don't even need people to agree with me on things, but you don't have to be like a shit person about it. And there was just a lot of that, and I'm I'm kind of over that. It's hard enough. Yeah, I need to make it harder. <laughs> I don't I don't understand it. Uh, I mean, yeah. if we if we tried hard enough right now with all five of us, we could find a lot of things we don't agree on. But like, why? Right. Right. I don't I don't need any more of that. What I need is people to be like. Things are tough. You and I, whatever, let's work together to get through this. That's what I need right yeah. now. <laughs> Mentally, uh, physically, emotionally, I need people who are like, let's do this together. And shout out to the people who are like that, 100%. Here, here. Uh, I'm going to jump right to my last thing. And I'm. It's a video game. As you, uh, many of you know, I, I, video games are my kind of media of choice. Enjoy movies and TV shows and whatever. But given a chance to sit down and just enjoy narrative experiences that I can be involved in. And the highlight of that was a game called The Last of Us Part Two this year. Um, mm, high level. It's like a post-apocalyptic game, right? And it, it would fit a lot of the tropes of many post-apocalyptic games. But when you get underneath it, you're dealing with characters who are struggling with sexual identities and dealing with characters who are wrestling with what it means to stay a human 
and what it means to um, relate to others in a world that is unrelatable. And I felt that more than ever this year, I guess. Um, it also involves a narrative theme around a Pearl Jam song, <laughs> uh, oh. right? Called, I didn't look this up. I think it's Future Day or Future, Future Days. Days. Yeah. Future Days, which was just performed by Eddie Vedder on a kind of game awards show. Oh, but, I was so confused by that announcement. <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah. And so the game is, is narratively woven into a Pearl Jam song, huh. which was enough of a draw for me. <clears throat> it just, again, kind of like if I can uh, relate it to Mad Max Fury Road, it's this game that <laughs> turns things on its head and it, it takes these kind of tropes and, 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 and it's trans characters wrestling with their sexual identity in, in this world. And it's people who appear, of course, to be on the side of right who may not of course be that way and maybe some things that we're used to seeing but but um the first one changed me that's like the the first one was so impactful yes the second I, one will do more of the same for yeah. sure yeah it, it's of course the last of us is an as a a game that was released seven or eight years ago and this was yeah. a sequel um and it's a journey of it's 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 a journey of people, you know, it's not a hack and slash shoot everybody. You know, it's about dealing with what it, how, how do you retain your humanity in a world which isn't interested in any of those things? If uh, you, if uh, you break out Rocky Mountain AM, I would love to see you stream that. Uh, just, just for the sense that I have given up, I think on those games. I can't, this is something I've been talking to Dave about that I have consumed my entire life and I am kind of trying to get a handle on that consumption so that I can create with the life that I have left because I don't think I have done enough of that. And uh, I think that those, like we've, we have briefly talked about like cyberpunk, you know, I, I just don't have time for that game. Right, uh, it, yeah. it looks fantastic. I I am thoroughly sure I would enjoy it, uh, but I, with what I'm what I have, want to do right now with my life, I don't. I just can't get. I would get too invested in it. Yeah, for sure. I, I will say this about The Last of Us. So there's a, you know, I, I'm I'm into this game. It's probably thirty to forty hours. Right, it's a significant investment in time. There's a there's a scene at the end where you have to re-engage what could be considered an antagonist, but is also a protagonist. I mean, it, and I just didn't want to do it. I was like, I, I'm tired of this violence. You know, it, it, it resonated with me and it's not just this endless, you know, video games kind of, you know, it's like doom, right? You're just going around and blowing up and, and those, those games have their place. Right. But this isn't about that. This is about how endless violence does affect a person. And if you were, set in a world where it's <clears throat> die, you know, kill or be killed. How does that really get to you? I mean, how many people would it take for you to kill before you realize you're killing humans? Mm, you know, like right. what, what, what impact does that have on a person of actually 
taking another person's life. Um, and maybe the game resonates with me just because you're getting, I'm getting older. Right. And um, I mean, I'm only, I'm, I'm only 40. I'm not at death's door completely, <laughs> but in some days, <laughs> but you know, you do sign kind of see like, yeah, okay. Like I don't necessarily have all of this youth behind me um, or I mean, in front of me, it's a lot of it is behind me. And so it probably the idea of, ending someone's life maybe feels differently than it did even 10 years ago, even in this fake world of video games, which I find interesting that I've had that change. So yeah. Last of us part two, if you ever sit down and feel like playing a video game, I think does a good job of being a video game and having video gamey things, but also talking to you as a person with, you know, put yourself in these shoes and how, what would you, how would you deal with it? What would you say? How would you handle the situation? Nice. Twinkie, can you, so as someone who whose last like in, intensive video game play was in the early nineties with like Mario one or some shit, maybe three. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you, and I like, I have a vague notion and I've watched some of your Twitch and stuff of modern games, but I still can't, I can't even imagine like how the issues that you brought up, like the the trans character and how that unfolds, or the or the, the the agonizing overtaking a life. Can you t tell tell folks like me like who can't grasp that, like how how the video game framework like contains that, and how the, those things sort of unfold throughout the gameplay? Yeah. So, like uh, for example, in this one, you are a defined. You play a defined character. Um, whereas in many video games, you are a uh, uh, halo, right? You are this somewhat nondescript Marine in a mask, right? And, and you don't have like a defined backstory or a personality. Well, in this game, you, you, uh, I mean, um, without spoil, it's a fairly recent game, so I would never spoil it for anybody, but you play people with, a set backstory and things unfold somewhat cinematically in the sense that there are sequences where you are playing as this character in a world and you're, you are finding ways to either sneak around or kill or whatever to achieve your goals. But the story also has cinematic moments where uh, cutscenes or whatever that also deal with those things um, and help flesh that out. Now, there are also things within the, the moments where you are physically playing the game that help you with that backstory as well, whether you're having conversations with people or um, seeing how they act or don't act in specific circumstances. Um, these, are, these games are involve designers and writers and... <coughs> and teams of hundreds of people and they cost hundreds of millions of dollars to make um, and that require um, years of investment. So they are significantly different from maybe some of the games that, you know, we grew up playing, which were considered, you know, kids toys, if you will. Um, they rival 
you know, a Hollywood story in some degree and how they're made and how they look. Um, the best way to get a feel for that really is to, if you, if you go to Twitch or you just even go to YouTube and can watch some of those things, you get a feel for how that plays out. I have, I have a link to the trailer that we can drop in. That might be a nice way to wrap up Twinkie before he, he goes out of here. Uh, but just to, to even piggyback on what he's saying, like this developer particularly is kind of known for making cinematic games. Uh, I would even argue the, the first one, this one probably follows that, uh, they are almost interactive movies in a sense that uh, I uh, the the um, Uncharted series the like the the characters it, I that's the first game that you seriously empathize I, in my opinion like you genuinely feel for these characters the same way you would in a movie that you were watching and you have the ability to control them in some sense this this developer is kind of known for that quality of game it's not even just like their a list games they're it's a, it's a, it is games elevated almost to an art form that this developer is known for uh, but i i feel like this trailer that i'm about to drop in it's very important to stress that the the quality of animation that you're about to see in this trailer is the game so it's it's very I, there was a period with gaming where the cutscenes or the cinematic elements of the game would be a much higher quality of resolution and, and and graphic compared to what the actual gameplay would be this developer also is notorious for the, the seamless integration between the cinematic moments and the game control moments so they those two things just ebb and flow very very well in the in the games that this this developer creates so let me drop this in and we can get this queued up and uh i have it queued up already uh, but if we I, and i apologize for the dogs in the background so on three and three so it's a really cool YouTube clip, but it really doesn't lend itself to being listened to. So if you go to the uh, Long Walk Short Drink YouTube page, you know, just youtube.com slash Long Walk Short Drink, you can see videos mentioned on the show and you can watch it there. It's pretty, it's, it's super cool, actually. All right, back to the show. I mean, come on, right? Whoa. Wait, so is that like what the cutscenes are like? That's just what the whole thing is somehow? That's the whole game. Like, that's right crazy. That would be over. You would move the joystick and your characters would start moving. Like, and it would look just like that. Like, that's. Wow. <clears throat> it is, um, it is an, an intent. Like, I, there are times I just had to, like, put the controller down. Yeah. Break. Um, because it, it, it does, it really, if, I mean, you don't have to play it that way, of course. Right. Like you don't have to think about the things they're asking you to think about, but when you do stop and just take a minute, like there, there's a lot there to consider. Um, the, man, it just brings back the first one 
<laughs> and it's an emotional roller coaster. It's about relationships, and it's about what it you know what it means to be a human, <laughs> whether yeah. it's twenty twenty or <laughs> whether it's um the post apocalypse. I just thought that was a great way because you asked how does it elicit all of how does it go through all of these things, and I think that yeah. that trailer yeah. I remember when that dropped with her playing the guitar and then them meeting back up and seeing them together again and uh, and how aged both of them were after playing the first one. Uh, I just sobbed. It was just so beautiful in such a bleak um, setting. Uh, yeah, it is an intense game. I would even suggest if you're not a gamer, you could even go, I saw in the suggested, they have there are people who have played the game and edited their gameplay together so it plays like a movie. <laughs> so you could watch both of the games so that they're essentially like a movie while you watch them. Uh, the story is that good, I would suggest. Even if you're uh, checking it out that way, it's, yep. it, I think it would be worthwhile. Uh, uh, the, the, the woman playing the guitar there, her name is Ellie. And um, man, just after... After the, the 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 first game that Palmer is talking about, you just really grow to love her, and you you get to witness more of her it, uh, kind of life as it changes, and it is that's cool, emotional. man. That, that looked I looked really good. Yeah, it's very emotional. Yeah, it's a, for sure. Very emotional. It's a it's a all said in this post apocalyptic zombie esque environment right uh, kind of deals with that differently than what you would get yeah. from like the walking dead maybe or yep yep absolutely uh something like I, that. yep i totally worth it for sure excellent picks man wow. well yeah, done thank you yeah well it looks like i get to listen to at least one or two more before i bow out here so i'm excited to hear what other people uh, bring to the table for sure well, anyone else well, have I'll, a yeah? I was double D. We had threats of losing you. So. <laughs> I was just going to jump in because, um, and I kind of wanted to piggyback on that whole uh, media thing um, that Twinkie was talking about. And I didn't necessarily set up a top ten, um, but in regards to media, I have consumed um, way, way more books um, this year than I probably have, like all my previous years on this earth combined. Um, I've been really going through and I got um, you know, a couple audio books that I listened to pieces and parts of over and over again. Um, but uh, I, <laughs> I have a, um, my Libby app, which is just a library app. Um, but um, there's some, some incredible media that I've gone through and one that I would strongly encourage you to to read, both Twinkie and Stan the Man, if you haven't yet, um, it's called "God Is Not Great" uh, by Christopher Hitchens. Okay, um, it is um, it is really really good. Uh, it is it's, um, uh, I grew up in a traditional Christian Baptist type of a of a family, and you know we had. I don't know, three years or whatever, where we are perfect attendance in our Sunday school class and all that good stuff. And um, it's, it's really eye opening. Um, oh. There's a lot of, a lot of good uh, historical references, um, parallels and 
how <laughs> as you kind of go through um these religions and and just take your pick whatever religion you want to go through um you'll be able to find that same story arc that same character arc that same you know storyline um pretty much everywhere else <laughs> i uh double everywhere d I just, just bought that on my kindle <laughs> i'm telling you outstanding and, and Tell me if tell me the what you think. Give us the title one more time. It's called God is not great. Uh, Christopher Hutchins. Um, not, not to be confused with Michael Hutchins, who <laughs> had a boner when he died. Another <laughs> <laughs> boner right now. <laughs> so standing. Yeah. So one of the most uh, awkward Halloween costumes one of my friends did, we had these Halloween parties, was he went as Michael Hudgens with a rope and he put a oh big old God. dildo in his pants. As a <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. He's got problems. <laughs> <That's> all. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I'm all for boners. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sound cut. <laughs> I'm all for boners. <laughs> I like boners. <laughs> you work pro boner i mean pro bono i do i do i do so so i've got one and mine is uh mine is musician um so i am so you know spotify released their like list every i don't know if you guys are spotify consumers or not but at the end of the year spotify compiles this list tells you your top songs your top genres everything else and like does this whole presentation is pretty cool and so you know mine were um all from the 70s like I'm, i have a very 70s soul you know so you know i've got harry nilson and david bowie and um you know rolling stones and, and that but my number one musician i listen to so usually i'm like new music sucks i don't like it you know give me the other stuff thank god i have teenage daughters because harry styles was my number one musician this year Whoa. and i say that it's surprising. I'm a 40 year old man and I love Harry Styles. Okay. I'm just saying it right now. Um, his albums are fantastic. I mean, fantastic. To me, if like Pink Floyd was formed in 2020, they could have a little Harry Styles. Like, listen to Sign of the Times and tell me it's not like a modern Pink Floyd. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing him play that on uh, Saturday Night Live. And I was like, looking at this dude, I'm like, this is like. Something about him had like yeah. physically was like a Eddie Vedder slash David Bowie kind of vibe. And so I'm 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 actually excited to hear you say that because I I I saw that I'm like this is great. I put that song on like an annual mix that I do, but I hadn't really thought of him again. That gives me a lot to look forward to. Anyway, go on. So yeah. I just didn't, I wanted yeah, to normalize so, like, the his, idea. <laughs> his album uh, this year, you know, but it, it it's just got all these amazing songs. You know, like Watermelon Sugar was a big pop hit this summer. I mean, it's a great song. Adore is great, but you know, like there's a song called Sunflower. It was my number one most listened song to this year. And it's, it's just fantastic. And I will tell you like, so I don't know if you guys watch NPR's tiny desk concerts. Mm -hmm. They do yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. Those yes. are great. Watch the Harry Styles episode. It is okay. so good. You will be smiling from ear to ear for the entire 15 minutes. I promise you like the whole band is amazing. Like he is just like in there. They're just having, you can tell they're just so happy. 
to be doing their craft. You know what I mean? And sharing that with them. I mean, it's uh, the NPR Tiny Desk Concert Harry Styles will make you a fan if you're not one before. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. And I just listened to a John, the John Prine one, I don't know, like two days, three days ago. The nice. Stuff. They're really good. Yeah. Yeah. I love those. And yes, rest in, rest in peace, John Prine. Yeah. But, uh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're they're great. I love watching those Tiny Desk concerts. I kind of feel like you do, but mine is Taylor Swift um, as a 40-year-old man. <laughs> <laughs> AJR. I, I like AJR a lot. They, they do good stuff. Yeah. There's, there's some really great talent, these these kids. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. These kids putting out some good stuff. Well, to your point, Thanks. you know, Twinkie, is that like – Maybe Taylor Swift's music isn't always my cup of tea, but she writes and sings and produces her own music. And like, you know, in a day and age where you have 20 writers and auto tune and all this stuff, like she's the real deal. hundred yeah. percent. And Miley Cyrus has gained, I've gained a lot of respect for her this year. Um, she just, I don't know if you guys listen to Howard Stern, but she was just on that last week and um, on and on and on. I listened to her on Joe Rogan podcast and, you know, all these other things. And like Miley Cyrus is a really interesting cat. I mean, she really is. And she's got a very unique voice. Yeah. But she's been doing all these covers. She was talking about how she, um, at a Chris Cornell tribute, like she's, she's saying, say hello to heaven. And oh. she went into there like, and you know, these people, you know, grunge rock, like they're looking at this, like Hannah Montana and their eyes. And they're, you know, so she has to win them over. And by God, just with her voice and the way she's doing it, I mean, she wins them over every time. Wow. Every time. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. And they told Trump to fuck off. So that's <laughs> right. Bonus. Exactly. Yes. I, absolutely. I enjoyed, the, yeah, because uh, I, I appreciate uh, Taylor Swift, certainly. Um, and I ended up watching that, uh, I think it's a Miss Americana, the documentary on Netflix that uh i would recommend it's you know i don't know it's like these things are but what's interesting about it is like she comes from this you know background and and country music and kind of america's sweetheart type thing and i can't remember exactly when they said it but it sort of shows her awakening as an adult to realizing what some of the limiting ideologies surrounding that kind of um corporate uh, version of of those values and such and her wrestling with those things and you know it's a little you know you're watching this otherworldly privileged person <laughs> like wrestle yeah. with some but it is kind of interesting to see you just get to see the mechanisms of it and then you also get to see it kind of reflected in some music so it's it's a yeah depending on the audience but but uh, but if you're into her i think that's a cool thing to see well, there's like a great scene in that documentary where she's like i want to have this opinion and there's this group of like dudes and by dudes, I mean like really old white dudes sitting in a circle being like, but if you have that opinion, you may lose 17.6% of your fans and your revenue will go down 18.2% right. or whatever. And she's like, I don't care. Right. It's yeah. the right thing to do. I don't really and care. You, and you know what? For as infuriating as that is, those dudes really aren't wrong. You remember what happened with the Dixie chicks? Back in oh, the day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a great documentary, too. They were at a concert in Europe, right? And they said, yeah. just so you know, we're ashamed. George Bush is from Texas. And that was it. They disappeared. They were done. Yeah. Yep. 
they are just now starting to gain yeah. some like traction as the chicks. Right, as the chicks. Uh, well, and that album that they came out with is oh, really sorry. good. I yeah. like that. Oh, single. that's the. It's not on a list of mine, but that. Yeah, they joined the ranks years ago after that thing with George Bush of like the artists. You just say their name, and I get oh fuck, <laughs> like I get all welled yeah. up. But um, the the so there's a documentary about that time in their career called "Shut Up and Sing," and that song I don't know what it's called. Oh, it's "I'm Not Ready to Make Nice." I think is a song. Mm-hmm. It's from years ago, but it's it's incredible. Their current album is mostly like a breakup album, like not Natalie Maines, but that doesn't really matter. It's a, irresistible stuff on it but there's a song called march the video for that is just devastating um Mm. and uh yeah so the bride will play like she was playing that a lot at the time and i just cannot and she'll play their music i can't deal with them like i can't listen to them something about that chick's voice just like somebody might as well kick me in the dick because I just start to like I was just trying to like do dishes and I'm just like sobbing I'm like you have to turn this out. <laughs> and it's like reliable like it just gets yeah. gets me every time yeah the one thing I do want to say about that Taylor Swift thing too that more than anything that documentary so it might even be that scene you're talking about Twinkie like these people are talking like why would you want to cut half your audience in half and there's a certain point in a scene like that where that sentence is said and this looks like a room full of managers and stuff, but it's her fucking dad. And I remember like that dawning on me in the middle of the conversation, like not just like, Oh shit. When you take it into account that it's her dad, but like, I didn't know it was her dad. And then once I knew that I was like, Whoa. And then she says this thing in the most, like, doesn't matter who you are. You like Miss Americana, whatever. She just goes like, this is how I feel, and I need you to forgive me, she says to her dad. I don't know. Oh, I don't even know yeah. how to process all of that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, that is not the kind of dad I would like to be. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> and I think maybe he does or whatever, but, like, he fucking shouldn't have to be. But but just hearing her say that, that's the thing I'll always remember about that that documentary. Yeah, for sure. Uh, anyway, so gr- great pulls, like, the, the music yeah. ones. Jesus. Well, I'm going to bow out now and take my kids to bed and do whatever. Right. But thank Thanks you. Thank you for us, buddy. Look forward to listening to what everybody else has to say. I I love this. I love seeing all of you. It's a great uh, way to end this fucking dumpster fire of a year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thanks so much, Blinky. Uh, yeah. Happy holidays to you and yours. Oh, thank you. You as well. And you have uh, a great time. We'll talk offline. We'll try to get that. We, let's get this apostolic episode up. I think it's going to be fascinating, and I really am looking forward to being a part of that conversation. As soon as we, we set some dates, I will pursue 100%. Awesome. Yeah, I'll take the lead yeah. on it. Let me All right. help. Thanks. Let me know any way I can help. I uh, love okay. you. It's great to see yeah. you. Take care. Like, Likewise, buddy. Awesome. See you, Twinkie. Yeah. yeah. Bye. Uh, I got a music one that's a quick one because it's uh, something we've talked about before <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> Hang on. Wait a minute. I know, yeah. Go. Okay. Your quick one. Let's hit it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I tried, yeah. A lot of times for me in these kind of lists, like 40 Palmer, minutes Palmer and I have done, yeah, uh, historically, they haven't always been new, like things from the year, but they've been new to me. I don't, I right. try not to do any of that this year, um, almost in defiance of the difficult year it was, or just to th- think about like what was, what offered comfort and joy and all those things for me this year. And, um, we, we mentioned it before, but uh, Pearl Jam, 
Um, they released their first album in, uh, in quite a few years, their 11th studio album, Gigaton, um, mm. seven years, first album, seven years, was just so much better than it had any right to be at this point in their career. I mean, it had been like, uh, yeah, it just really caught me off guard. It was oddly prescient in some of the lyrics. If you listen to them, uh, songs like Dan, uh, actually so many of the songs, it's absurd, um, um and, and a real progressive sound for them at times and it's a very band type record to where they're all contributing songs playing all kinds of different instruments than they normally play um so i i ordered the 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 pre-ordered the vinyl that came with like a single like a 45 for the song dance of the clairvoyance which i think is my probably my favorite song off the record and has the most sort of different sound for them but you know i think and then one of those lyrics just to give you an example is like um, numbers keep falling off the calendar floor. We're stuck in our boxes. Uh, I can't remember the rhyme to that, but it was like when every two mo- wait, every tomorrow is the same as before. It's just like so. This album was recorded prior to all this. It dropped in like March at the end of oh, March, wow. but it just was just the perfect thing to address the moment somehow as well. So I started to do an unboxing video of the vinyl. And it turned into like a 20 minute uh, review that's on our uh, Long Walk Short Drink YouTube page. Um, So you can hear me talk more at length there about the album itself. But um, also just with the band, they couldn't do, they couldn't tour, of course. And so they ended up doing a lot of things that they wouldn't ordinarily do, like extended interviews on podcasts and stuff. And Stan, you mentioned um, the Howard Stern show, which I hadn't listened to in more years than I could tell you, like before XM, all that stuff. But Eddie Vedder was on it and talked to him for like three hours. And it was great. Um, It was a great interview. Yeah. Even for like a, 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 such a long time fan like me, there was stuff I learned. He talked about like, cause Howard gave him, for instance, like his interpret, his, his reading of, um, or I don't even, it's not even reading or interpretation. Like the song yellow Ledbetter doesn't have written lyrics and it's often kind of improvised and it sounds a certain way, but it's almost gibberish at times, at least on the recording and stuff, but it's become a real fan favorite. And so Howard floats the the thing that the, that the chorus or refrain is like, I don't know whether I was the boxer or the bag, you know, the hit, the person being hit or the person doing the hitting. And it says where like the song actually came from. And for him, it was like this story of, uh, well, he said he was like on his way to the studio that day and waved to some people on a on a porch, and they didn't wave back. <laughs> and uh, there's something about that tied into like this story of a a soldier writing letters to his brother or something like that. So anyway, I can't remember. Oh, so his thing was like, I don't know whether I'm coming home in a box or a bag, like a body. Yeah, or, but I still don't think. And he gave Howard the credits. Like yours is better. There's no way he's never like he's sung that version before. I've heard. Yeah. It. I've thought that for years. Anyway, so anyways, wonderful like uh, interview on Howard Stern. He plays some songs and have a wonderful conversation, as well as uh, showing up. Ed, Ed does on like some podcasts, like a baseball show called Off the Mound, um, another called Daddy Issues, um, and then so generally, the, the, I mean, they've been a band from their inception that has a very strong. Uh, so social conscience and social commentary in their music and in the way that they conduct the business of the band. And uh, so historically they would do like they did to get out the vote 
uh, effort. Uh, I mean, they did a whole tour in 2004, the Vote for Change tour. Um, but they were, so they've kind of adapted that into like their tour strategy around these times in history. And so like they were going to be going through battleground states and uh, they couldn't do that. So they came up with like a whole online, uh, what the New York Times called a political operation, <laughs> PJ Votes, the, the, to help register and mobilize voters. And um, uh, the last thing I'll say about so one of the kind of highlights of th- that multi-pronged effort, you know, it's not all just kind of preaching to the choir or just telling people who they should vote for. It's um, like they're putting out their music and just kind of contextualizing it in ways that um, draw attention to those sorts of things. So they would take what I have to imagine were um, recorded for like the... Um, I can't think what you said, like just like the big screens at concert venues that if you're in the nosebleeds, you watch the screens more than the people. And, you know, those have multi multi camera affairs and they switch between the cameras and they're kind of a show of their own. And so from what I can tell of these the archival performances they're releasing, they must come from those type of uh, recordings, you know, because th- there's a bunch of them and they couldn't have all been like professionally commissioned for like you would once do for a DVD release or something. So anyway, the one I'll, I'll highlight, they, they put these on nugs.net or the nugs, uh, app. And it was the October 22nd, um, 2000, it was, oh, they on October 22nd, which was their 30th, the 30th anniversary of their first live performance. They streamed an April, 2016 concert in Philadelphia, pretty important, um, <laughs> city to this last election. Um, but in that concert, they played the album. They opened the concert with the album 10 performed from front to back. And so I wow. I, I had spent a lot of time with Pearl Jam this year, um, actually even just going back through their catalog in anticipation of the the um, the new album, enjoying the new album and all these things that they offered. And, and these these concerts that they put up, like that, that was a great way to start that show. But then it was like all bets are off. And the set list was like just delicious and um i just really appreciate those guys i always i have for a long time but the fact that they're still doing the kind of work and the invested work and meaningful work that they are at this stage in their careers is crazy and um yeah i'm just really grateful for it there double d did i get to 40 (laughs) (laughs) that's it that's all i gotta say about it Nice. No, that wasn't 40 minutes. I'm just, obviously, I'm just messing with you anyway. We're still 40 minutes away from getting to the end of this segment, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. so. I, I have three quick ones, actually, that will that tie to things that we've already talked about a little bit. So I'm just going to fire these. So, like, to tie to Twinkies, like, video game, I um, really got into uh, Raspberry Pis during uh, 20, just as, like, project uh, stuff. And, uh, they're just these little. I'm so sorry about the dogs. Uh, they're just <laughs> then my wife shushing them in the background. If you can hear all that, that's so fun. Uh, uh, so um, they're these little tiny single board computers that are like dirt cheap. Uh, that are just they have the equivalent computing power as a desktop computer, but they're like one circuit board, and they ship where it looks like one circuit board. Uh, they're pretty interesting, but. There's a really large um, retro gaming community that, so like the old Atari and Nintendo and Super Nintendo and all those games that use these computers, these little computers to build these. I have this little tiny computer that's about this big uh, that has 8,000 
old games on it. Wow. That uh, you can play. So really fun. Uh, so there's that. Uh, and then music-wise, I have two music ones. So we've really been... We've talked about Sirius, so like Howard Stern, so I know a few of you have Sirius. Uh, there's a, I have absolutely fallen in love with Classic Rewind, which is like they that's a great channel. Their their subtitle of the channel is the second generation of rock. So it's like yeah. if you consider rock, like the first generation is like vine is their like classic vinyl, I think, or. Uh, there's a vinyl station. So that's the first generation of rock. This is all cassette era rock. Uh, but it's not like hair metal. It's like you get, I, oh man, it's just good stuff. Really, it, it, it's great music uh, that's fun to listen to. So that's my first music one. And then my other music one is uh, they, uh, Stan the Man and I and our wives actually uh, went and saw Tom Petty in his like yeah. final tour uh the like the year that he died we saw him and uh they just released this beautiful wildflowers re-release that's mm -hmm. uh it's like 250 bucks it's, it's some ridiculous amount like to get this thing Magic number. Uh, i know it's like perfect price right uh, and, uh i might have just made that price up actually yeah. <laughs> just to fit our narrative uh but uh, uh better than i yeah yeah uh so uh they, in that release, they released a bunch of uh, tracks, and one of them is this single called "Leave Virginia Alone." It's just, I, it, it's not like it's anything new or groundbreaking for Tom Petty. It's just great to hear new Tom Petty when uh, you live in a world when there's only going to be so much new Tom Petty you're going to hear as his estate slowly releases the last of his stuff. Right, so uh, it just. Uh, is nice to know that I got a new Tom Petty song in 2020 in a year that's so much shit uh, yeah. for an artist that means so much to me. So uh, that would be my other music one. So there's three. Boom, boom, boom. For boom, for, boom. Dave, for Dave's Pearl Jam, I got three knocked out. Well done. <laughs> Efficient. Brevity is it, is it too soon to talk about Neil Young and, you know, selling his catalog and... No, oh, that's Bob Dylan sold his fucking catalog. So did Neil Young. The, the really? voice of the counterculture sells out at the like in, yeah. in the third act. What the fuck? So did you Neil got... Young the same week. Neil Young too. He did it too? Yes. Uh, again, I stand by if he like how badass would it have been if they would have just if if Bob Dylan would have just released his catalog to uh, public domain, like uh, it, it was, they negotiated, it was like 900 copyrights. It was, yeah. it was like wow. 900 copyrights that they negotiated on. You're telling me like you couldn't have just like, even as a token, like here's like my favorites that I'm just going to release in the public domain because I want anybody to be able to do what they want with them because right so much to me you know like even if he would like you still could have made your millions if he would have put like 12 songs out there these ones are just going to the world but you can't tell me i don't know i guess it's who knows what every person goes through but like does bob dylan really need millions you would think at this point in his life yeah, health care is expensive when you're old again <laughs> like you're right yeah 
I, I, I it just uh, maybe I don't know enough about the situation. Probably, and this is like getting into the white guys just sitting bitching about shit they don't understand. <laughs> uh, but uh, it really feels kind of swarmy. For I don't even like Bob Dylan. I don't like. I'm not like he. Like I appreciate him, but like he doesn't have the same uh, rotation that I know he does with Dave, and I know yeah. he does Twinkie. The, uh, the Neil, the Neil Young one is is what really got me though. Like, yeah. That one makes me real sad. Have the, have either of them said anything about it, or is just like it's reported and they just had thirteen fucking states just sued the Supreme Court trying to like overturn the election results. Much bigger fish to fry <laughs> nice. than yeah. fucking Bob Dylan and Neil Young selling out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Boy, D's out. He's going to stuff with this. He's doing doing dirty stuff with his wife. Oh. <laughs> that, was, that was the that was the image that the the look he gave right before he's like you were yeah. failed that was that what that was <laughs> i hadn't thought of that when you and i talked about that earlier that idea that um or just the the, the counterculture thing but your suggestion i don't know if you floated that when we talked about it before about just releasing it to the public domain that would have been pretty cool like that's the kind of thing i can imagine trent reznor doing next week <laughs> you know yeah. i actually think there's a large portion of trent reznor's catalog that is in the public oh domain. yeah of yeah there's the 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 ghost albums yeah and there was some more of those this year beastie boys did the same thing they released a large uh, i think they released some of their catalog really? into the public domain to keep it out like and again that, that like if you care about what your art is and you care about the fans having access to that art, I mean, all, all that copyright is, is control, right? Like it's, it's somebody being able to control the monetization of that art mm -hmm. and you made your money off of it and you used it to like generate a movement. I feel like it's just a slap. It all was a ruse. Like it was just, a long con. <laughs> I played this character all this time when it really was just all about the money. That's yeah. what it. Like. And I, I, I don't. I, I. It's not my business. It's not my catalog. It's not my career. I again, I don't even like Bob Dylan. <laughs> like, to just like put him in rotation. I like Bob Dylan, of course, but like to just put him in a rotation to listen to that. Like he's not going to be one of my artists to do that. Uh, it's very interesting though because because you don't necessarily like him and i could be wrong about this but i can't think i've been thinking about it since we talked about it and i don't think there is another musician public figure in the modern era or whatever. like nobody had he was the first person to have that kind of voice of a generation mantle oh, yeah. put on him and yeah uh, and it's interesting because he did like he was just a dude and just a dude that loved music and was inspired by things, you know, Woody Guthrie and the like, and was like affecting. And then that influence was really transparent at a certain point in his career uh, as he was first getting started and he was making that folk music, but had his roots in rock. And so the whole, I like fifties rock and roll. And so he was into the folk thing for a while, he was also, uh, you know, initially like, I th anyway, so, so when he plugged in, like people were pissed off. It's like, he was just the first to, uh, go through a lot of that stuff. Right. And when we right. first talked about this, I, 
thought about it and he means a lot to me. He was, he was someone that I didn't get for a while, but joined the sort of personal pantheon of the people who can get me like the Dixie chicks when you just bring them up. And, um, that was a turning point for me and stuff, but, uh, I haven't listened to him for a long time, but yeah, he, he stands for something for, I, I think even, like you said, even the folks who don't, there's that, I always think about that Joan Baez quote in the Scorsese documentary, No Direction Home, where she's like, there's some people that just could, that just don't, like, you could take them and leave them. But for those of us, like, who he means something, like, it goes deep. And for me, I always aspired for it to, him to be someone <laughs> for me. And at a certain point, he became that um, through some effort, I think I made <laughs> to uh, kind of dig in there. But it's weird because of that, I don't consume him casually and I haven't paid much attention to anything he's done and even his radio stuff on whatever for years and years. I watched this, the second Scorsese doc, um, the Rolling Thunder review, which was fucking great and reminded me of the power that that guy can have. And he was in a totally different place. He was like wearing kabuki makeup inspired by Kiss, though not looking anything like Kiss, singing in a kind of a different voice, but like this really powerful voice. It was like the gut punch Bob Dylan. He's like from the mid seventies that, uh, anyway, but so he all, just got an album this year. Right? Yeah. Like, see like that. I haven't tracked, uh, I haven't yeah. kept up with. And, and it's funny in that Scorsese doc, there's a new interview with him about that time that, that, that most of the footage comes from. And he's like, that's, that's another lifetime, man. <laughs> he's just like, he's fucking over it. You know? He, and that's, yeah. that's what it struck me as when I first, when you first told me that I was just, he was just like, look, he's, he's had to have done everything he wanted to do. And he's just selling it off. Kind of like, I thought about Lucas a little bit, like George Lucas selling off Star Wars. Yeah. The Neil Young thing throws me for a loop, though. Star Wars in the public domain. Fucking, yeah. whoa. He could have that. Yeah, but I would have taken a billion dollars, though, for Star Wars. I'm not going to, you know. Four billion, actually. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I don't blame him for that one. I Yeah, the Neil Young, that threw me off. Like, when Bob Dylan did a Victoria's Secret commercial, like, 10 or years ago, like, that's when he started. I was like, ooh, Bob Dylan. So this one doesn't surprise me that much, but the Neil Young one, man, like, fuck. Yeah. come on, Neil Young. Like, I don't know. I now like to think of them in, in like a room, just like talking together. <laughs> Be like, let's do this. Let's just fuck, <laughs> fuck them all. <laughs> right. That's the last Same thing we'll expect. <laughs> you know, everything we stood for, you know what? We're all just fucking sold out with the rest of the baby boomers. It's ripped their heart out in the same week. This uh, a fleeting thought just passed, and this is probably idealistic and founded upon no. It's definitely founded upon nothing. I have any knowledge of, but like we don't know what they're going to do with that money. I was just thinking yeah, about that because right. of Pearl Jam, because I do know that Pearl Jam does a fuck ton of charity that they don't tell people about. Um, right. I like to think that. I like to. This is how I'm going to recontextualize in my mind to sleep better at night. It's like Neil Young and Bob Dylan run a room, <laughs> conspiring. They're like, we're going to sell it all. We're going to make all this money and give it to X to kind of keep shit yeah. from blowing up. But obviously, none of that's true. <laughs> but that's that's my alternate reality. <laughs> the video game I'm going to make. I was going to say I, I the only that I was going to throw in there was uh, you know my top um, election. Of 2020. 
Have that not been talked? I thought for sure that I'd missed that piece because <laughs> no. there's no way we don't talk about or hadn't talked yeah. about that at this yeah. point. Yeah. So uh, you may think. Which is isn't over yet. Well, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it is not. So this is a uh, this is you know quite an interesting year on many fronts, but you know of course um, I started the year like you know just kind of like well you know I'll vote for Biden because you know it's it's not Trump, but I he by the end of this campaign season convinced me that he's going to do great things. Like he really turned it around for me. Like I was a, an Elizabeth Warren fan, you know, and you know and all that, and, and Joe Biden really he won me over. And so that's really cool to see and all of that. But my favorite election uh, might have been mine this year. Um, and on, uh, you know, a lot of different fronts, it's, it was a really interesting year. You know, being a history teacher, politics is hand in hand with that, right? Like, you know, we teach about history, basically, especially early history through the administrations, right? There's a whole units on Jefferson and on and on and on. And, um, to be able to be a part of that process is really cool. And, and I did not win the general, I got run over by the Trump train, unfortunately, uh, up here and, you know, corrupt, dirty money, uh, to the tune of $369,000 they used against me, but that's for another time. Um, but it was really cool. Like I still, I won a primary, so I won an American election and I got to be in this process and I learned a lot, you know, good, bad, ugly, made a lot of friends, but uh, it was really cool to be able to just stand up there and talk about what I believe in and help to be the sort of torchbearer for people that felt the same way I did and wanted to fight for the same things that I did. And uh, it was, it was really cool. It's really cool. And um, I think it kind of awoken something in me that maybe I had buried down or thought I couldn't do or, you know, what everything else, but I'm in this now, man, a hundred percent. Like I'm in it. Uh, you know, Palmer, you were talking about leaving a legacy earlier in this episode and for as frustrating as politics is and as sometimes as nasty and dirty, never forget that the right people in can absolutely change the world for the better and make a difference. It's one of the very few prof professions that you can make a tangible, lasting difference in the lives of thousands upon thousands of people. And so, yeah, there's a lot of bullshit. I mean, we could have an entire episode on just the behind-the-scenes bullshit that goes on in political races. Um, but despite all of that stuff, it is still such an opportunity to do tremendous good. And uh, Yeah, that's cool, man. That's cool. So it was a, it was, it was a crazy year on, on the political front all the way around. I just, I just have to say like <clears throat> how inspirational it was. Um, again, like one of the things that we, I at least struggle with is that to just be this like armchair uh, change agent, you know, to just talk about and talk and talk and talk and you actually went out and you like, you fought to like be a change agent and to like go through all of that. It was just very inspirational and uh, a very um, awe inspiring. I think is the is the best way for me to say it. 
Thanks, dude. Appreciate that. What surprised you the most about the process or that you just weren't expecting? Uh, that you have to spend hours every single day calling and asking people for money. Every day. Every friggin' day. And it all comes down to money. So in my race in particular, I got 28 endorsements, including from President Barack Obama, Sherrod Brown, UAW, you know, on and on and on and on and on, like all the teacher unions, 28 endorsements. And the local newspaper not only endorsed me, but it was a complete takedown of my opponent. Like they said, he was the single worst interview they've ever had in their history. He seems completely unprepared, doesn't know what he's talking about, on and on. Brutal takedown, right? 28 endorsements from business, labor, service, you know, on and on and on. And, but my opponent, so outspent me four to one, okay? On a local state rep race, he raised almost $400,000 and it all came from the state party, which is dirty money from the, you know, I don't know how uh, much national news is going on here, but the Ohio Speaker of the House will be going to federal prison for the largest bribery scheme ever perpetrated, $61 million um, for a billion dollar bailout from this, you know, first energy power company. And it's, it's nasty. It's dirty. He he's going to prison on RICO charges. Okay. But he put all this money in the state party. And so I think double D what surprised me the most is it doesn't matter how qualified you are. Um, what matters is how much money you can put behind you for the marketing. That's what matters. And, um, it was, he even stole my platform and it was just negative. Like they did negative attack ads for me one after another 10 days straight all the way through the election. And that's what did it. I mean, he's awful. He's, he was absolutely horrible. We did this big public forum at this park. And like, even, you know, the Republicans were coming up for me like, wow, you did a really nice job there. Your opponent uh, doesn't seem like he knows what he's talking about, but it doesn't matter because they were able to have so much money to throw at it. That's what matters. And it's a little disheartening to me because, you know, again, I sort of teach still this idealized notion of, you know, we're always striving towards this more perfect union and it's a land of liberty and opportunity, but, you know, not to sound like a, a Debbie Downer, but that's not true, especially after Citizens United. Now, not only corporations are people here by law, but it seems to be that corporations are the only people that matter. And so um, to have that sort of reaffirmed because, you know, this scandal, this bribery scandal to bail out. So they labeled me as a socialist. Meanwhile, this is the party that gave a billion dollars to a private corporation, a buyout, who that corporation then turned around and gave 300 million back to their private investors. This corporation is three bucks from the University of Akron. They are so flush with cash, they give 300 million back to private stock owners, but the University of Akron is dying and withering on the vine three blocks away. And so like, to me, it's like, you can just see this decay of, well, not even decay, like where our priorities lie, right? Education doesn't matter. Um, the only thing that matters in this country is to make money. And to see that sort of reaffirmed in this election, um, especially in the state of Ohio. Um, so Larry Householder, the guy that was the, the, will be going to federal prison, for this first energy bribery scandal got reelected in a landslide. And um, <laughs> so I think, I don't know, that was a long diatribe on your simple question, double D, but I think to me that was the most surprising because 
what I started to say is I do teach this idealized version still, you know, I grew up like all of us, we grew up in 1980 and like for as much as I can logically disagree with Reagan's policies now in my adult age, there's sort of that nostalgia in me because we were trained and indoctrinated and all of this stuff. And, um, I still want to believe that anybody can do anything in this country if they have enough grit and, you know, all of that, but that's not true anymore. And I think that it breaks my heart a little bit because I, it wasn't ever true. Maybe it was. Yeah. And I think you're right because maybe it was never true. And I think that sort of realization, um, it's been sad for me. I mean, you know, Palmer and, and double D like, like for as like, you know, radically liberal as I am, like I am a very patriotic man. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I am a flag waving like American, like love this. And like, so that has been, uh, that's been hard for me this year because I think that especially, you know, being a historian, it's making me look at all of these sort of things I've always taken for granted maybe in a new light and really seeing where our priorities lie. There's a very few amount of years in our history where you're pointing to historical movements or politicians that are actually moving forward the interests of actual people and everything else is about business and gilded age and corporations and power. And that's who we are. And that's our, group of people that's that like they they might push the ideals of a group of people but it's their inner circle that they're pushing yeah like someone could even say that about the the, you know the revolutionaries like they they they're a very close-knit circle of people who all had a vision that they they even convinced and i'm sure they you know thought they were representing everybody but when you really look at it they were so all together you know yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, and you know, there's <laughs> there's this whole caste system then that we don't really even think about, right? But you had land-owning aristocrats and slaves and on and on and on. I mean, you know, people don't talk about George Washington's slave who also crossed the Delaware in the Revolutionary War. And you know what I mean? I mean, so, yeah, um, yeah and that's who we always have been. And that's sort of this great... <sighs> I don't know. You know, it's just this great dichotomy in America, right? Like, because for so many, this country has been a land of refuge and and safety and triumph. I mean, you know, all of us at one point had ancestors that were fleeing something else um, to come here. But at the other hand, you know, this country was founded off, well, first the extermination of the people that lived here originally. And, um, you know, and it just goes on from there. And then it was the Mexicans and we uh, only took half of the country instead of all of it because there were too many brown Catholics in the country. And so that's, you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's uh, when you see all of these things and on and on and on, and then you really see about when you study the civil war and yeah, the North won the battles, but really the Confederacy won the war of law and hearts and minds. I mean, think about how all of us in here learned about the Republican Congress after the Civil War. We called them the radical Republicans, right? Because, oh my God, they wanted black men to be able to vote. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's, it really makes you look at this, this country from a, 
not even a critical eye, just a different perspective and to, to see, just to be able to step outside of that a little bit and to look at it has been, it's been a little bit tough this year. Yeah. Part of my, <clears throat> part of my, I don't know, consumption of, of these, um, these books and stuff has just been, I mean, there's been a ton of the, um, like black lives matter movement and, um, the new Jim Crow laws and, um, on and on about how, you know, we talk about the civil war being the changing point in America and it's not like, it wasn't like, it was no. not like it didn't do anything for, you know, for the people that were enslaved and it. I mean, yeah, on paper, it was all great, but, and I shouldn't even say that because on paper it was awful. No. Um, the laws in the books and, and the ways that, um, you know, the, the ways that we have systemically, uh, kept an entire race of people down and continue to do so. Um, and again, you know, here we are four four white dudes and um, sitting about talking about it, but it's something that, you know, we need to talk about. And, um, you know, it's just been really eye-opening and almost, you know, maybe not shameful, I guess, but, you know, the idea behind prior to this Black Lives Matters movement just the idea of you know the white privilege not even being on my radar right. um and <laughs> the history of this country has been told to us by white people about how great we are and how everybody has this chance and clearly it's you know it's it's the almighty dollar right that that right. runs the country yeah and you know i so yep. to your point i remember when that first remember it was like what 2015 16 ish like that the term white privilege really started to become out in popular culture and initially i pushed back at that because you know i had a rough upbringing and all this stuff i said what privilege did i have and i remember the moment it clicked for me is when i watched philando castile die on tv um in minnesota and i have never once in my life been afraid when a cop pulls me over that i was about to die never one time or the, uh, the, this is one I, that I ran across that really put it home for me, like was not going to college ever an option for you, no matter how destitute, right? Like yeah. uh, I, I had somebody say that where I, or I read somebody comment on that, like what did white privilege as a white person, what did white privilege mean to you in hindsight? And it was no, like I grew up poor on, you know, in the projects or what, what have you. But at the end of the day, I was smart and that meant not going to college was not an option. Like, yeah. uh, so yeah. yeah. Have you ever thought about what it must take for a black person to love this country? Oh man. I mean, it, <laughs> I can't, again, just like double D said, we're four white dudes, like just speculating here, but, I can't even imagine, you know, I mean, when you think about the, the, not only the, the history from the beginning of our country, but the history that continues to this very day. I mean, it's, uh, I'm but, a, I am taking another step further is, can you imagine having to live that this is an, uh, this is a definition of white privilege. Could you imagine having to turn your eye to something to be able to love this country? Right. Like, we, we, we don't have to do that. 
It's it's yeah. easy for us to love this country, right? We have to find shit to bitch about, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's the thing, though, that when you do see these things for what they are, then you do have to turn. You, you, you how do you? I don't know how to fucking love this country. Yeah. I'm disgusted by it, <laughs> and I thought I had a. I thought, I you know, without I, I have to be careful because uh, I can't reveal too much or whatever. But I thought because of what I'd learned, who I'm married to, how they spend their life. She got her shit. She got her shit together in regard to all of this before we met when she was thirty, and and it's like a huge part of her life and work as being a white person who gets this stuff and happens to be good at explaining it to other white people. And so I thought that from what I had learned from being married to her, I thought what I had kind of learned in, in, in college myself and kind of stepping outside of the bubble of, of Ritman, Ohio, where there are no people of color at all when we grew up, maybe one or whatever, like less than 10 <laughs> in terms of, I don't know, whatever, getting into numbers, yeah. but it's absurd. It's um, Less than five is safe. Yeah, say. yeah. Anyway, I thought I had a growing and sufficient like understanding of systemic racism. Um, and then like you mentioned about the seeing the in 2015 Philando Castile in Minnesota fucking once again and I think of Minnesota and I think of the Twin City where I live and where I work as being a progressive place. Yeah. And it's historically, you know, it's like all but it's not <laughs> in certain areas. anyway but like the george floyd flashpoint yeah there's that thing like what do you have to turn as a as a as a black american turn a blind eye to to love this country right. that video like for those that saw it and i haven't even seen the whole thing by the time i had yeah. the courage to look it up it didn't even show up in the search results that what did show up was three of the officers kneeling on the man and I yeah. watched like 30 seconds of that. And that was plenty. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, no, it's not and, plenty, you know, actually. It should bear witness uh, to the whole thing. But sorry. Right tonight, right now, because this week a uh, black man was killed by in Columbus by um, Sheriff's Department. And yeah. so there's going to be protests all weekend. But, you know, he died holding his Subway sandwich, sandwich he got for his grandma and his five-year-old brother. Died falling into his house. And, you know, the cops weren't looking for him he was a legal ccw carrier he either he had no criminal history or anything else and he got shot by a dude who had a lot of complaints against him and he died falling into his own house just like medgar evers yeah you know i mean it's uh um just continuous and i can't i i don't know that's what for me i just think about like what must it take for a black person to love this country because i, I can't i don't think i could and I think we're at a place where it's harder and harder for even the the people who have benefited from that system to look away. And we're at a, seems to be, I mean, at least the, the us talking about it, we're at turning points in our lives that, that have come from these last few years. That's the thing I kind of bristle about when people talk about 2020, like fuck 2020. And I, I'm just like, 2020 is just the time in which this shit came to light. <laughs> not not just the racial but whatever all this stuff even the 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 biological realities anyway yeah. um so that not just to like rail against it you know i think the the idea that people like us are are learning that fuck dude the 
I don't know you that well, but when Palmer shared me the you're getting engaged in this process, like he was like, Stan's out there like doing this. I was, I was like, I fucking talked to that guy. I was like so oddly proud to to <laughs> to know you in the little bit that I do, and um, so I I want to acknowledge that like as odd as I was, am <laughs> by you stepping in, into the arena to put your whole life into it like that is um is awesome how did you come to decide to to do that and find the courage and fortitude to jump in there yeah it's uh <laughs> well i don't know some days were, were better than others with the courage and fortitude you know um but uh so the way the way it worked out you know again being history teacher it's something i sort of always aspired to is this public life um, but I sort of thought it'd be 10 years from now, you know, I still have little kids and, you know, life is crazy busy, but you know, when we would take field trips to the state house or whatever, I'd always get my picture taken by the rolls up there, you know, because I, I think that, you know, again, like Paul was saying earlier, like, I want to leave a legacy. Like I want to do something that can advance the common good and do my part towards that. I don't just, I don't know. I, sp I feel like I've spent a lot of my life sort of living for myself. You know, and uh, like there's a lot of selfish things and a lot of growing up I had to do. And I think I just want to make sure I'm spending the second part of this life, whatever life I have left, like helping to advance the common good in whatever way I can. And um, the opportunity arose where a couple of candidates that um, had run before and won before that they thought they would have been the natural selection to sort of step into this race. They declined. And the, the county party here was looking around for someone to step in. And um, I answered the call, went over there and met with people and they were, you know, impressed enough and it was kind of on, on from there. But, you know, we, we started a campaign where really nobody knew who I was to one where the president, you know, former president of the United States was tweeting my name out to 55 million people. I mean, it was pretty rad, you know, I mean, it was, uh, it was cool. So we, um, we did a lot of good things and I, you know, surrounded myself with good people. Then I've made a lot of good friends this year. But, you know, I think, like I said, Dave, is this, I never, I think a lot of people get into public service and they lose sight of why they got in there in the first place. And then they want to hang on to power and it becomes that, you know. But to be able to, again, like I said earlier, just to carry the torch for the, for people that believe like I did, and maybe I'm blessed with, more natural skills or natural inclinations that allow me to carry the torch for these people. And I took that responsibility very seriously. And, um, you know, I never made this election about me. Like this wasn't like a cult of personality type of thing. Like it was always about the issues and what is right and the movement here we're trying to build. And I think it was just, I don't know. I'm really humbled. It was really cool to be able to, uh, to do that. And now we're sitting here even post-election, you know, and I had a decision to make. Do I just go on to something else or do I, you know, we made, uh, I made quite a name for myself this year in this area and like, you know, like it or not, like I'm being seen as a leader now and do I continue to use my voice to promote this common good? And, um, that's what I'm doing. So we're keeping the website up and, uh, and everything going and, you know, we're, we're putting out videos and I can tell I'm actually, it was a little bit unexpected. The reactions I've been having this week and last week to coming back onto my social media and saying stuff. I mean, I think people are so, they, they just crave 
I don't know, sort of moral leadership and leadership so bad in these times that um, I think that I can step into that void and uh, really work work to do that. So I hope so. Anyway, I mean, I have, uh, you know, some people are math people and they just understand math. I've always been like that with history. I'm just a history dork. It just always makes sense to me. And so I hope that I can use that knowledge of of that and help to maybe build a brighter future. So that's, that's kind of what I got on my docket here in the next few years. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, man. I'm so, I'm so excited to just see this happen. Thanks, man. Fantastic. So proud of you, dude. Thank you. Yeah. And it, it's not easy. I, you know, I, I even said it sometimes this year, like there are some days where I like didn't want to get out of bed and I had to like hide under the covers. I mean, it's, it's called a campaign for a reason. So, uh, yeah, I don't want people to think I was just a strong figure up there. There are many nights where I had to hug and say, why did I do this? You're right, right, you know. So, <laughs> but you persevere, right? That's what you got to do. Yeah. You can't give up. And so, actually, the theme of my campaign became don't give up the ship for so many reasons. So, there's this, uh, you know, famous Oliver Hazard Perry in the War of 1812 had this huge flag made, don't give up the ship, because the British had never been defeated in naval warfare in their entire history, you know. And so he went out there and handed the British, you know, wrote that famous line, we have met the enemy and they are ours. And But the don't give up the ship became a theme. Not only I started it for me, just with me, you know, don't forget what you're fighting for. But we carry that along about all of these values, you know, and I know it seemed that we're under this onslaught from the right wing, especially in Ohio, but don't give up the ship, you know? And so um, that became a real rallying cry. Yeah, look at that. I had um, people that voted for me telling me online, you know, saying that back to me after I lost, don't give up the ship, don't give up the ship. And like, that's really cool to be a part of that movement. For awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Rock on, man. I don't know if you were alluding to this quote earlier, um, but uh, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. Absolutely. <laughs> Which I yes, thought indeed. I thought was a uh, was a Jed Bartlett quote <laughs> from the West yeah. Wing, <laughs> <laughs> which I just started to watch this year. <laughs> uh, I have of- watched four seasons over again this year. That's I think I'm not sure what season we're on and I haven't seen the reunion. Um, I always sort of, sus- or well, I've had a growing suspicion over the years that I would enjoy that show and I never watched it. It was on and the bride and I, I think early this year watched um, his girl Friday on like the criterion app. And it's a Howard Hawks movie, like from the forties that real, yeah. like just witty repartee, like really fast back and forth. Like, you know, sassy broads and, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, I'm married to one of those and she was into it. And so was, so was I. <laughs> and so, uh, that made me think of Aaron Sorkin because I think he was like kind of the, you know, his, that's that his type of dialogue. And so I'm like, why don't we yeah. try that? And I remember her telling me at, at the start of it, she was like, I don't know. I don't, it was like early in quarantine. And I don't know, man, I was a mess. I am, I'm better, but I'm still kind of a mess. <laughs> you know, that, Anyway, a lot of stuff got boiled over as we talked about. Anyway, but so she's like, I don't know if you're going to be able to handle this, <laughs> seeing this disparity between this yeah. White House and the one that we have. Right. Uh, but it, that is, I, I debated as to whether or not to put it on my list, but it just kind of came up because of that quote. But uh, so uh, that show has been such a comfort and delight for me. Yes. 
I, um, I watched it on the darkest days this summer in campaign. I would watch the West Wing. And it just reminded me, you know, for obviously it's fictionalized, but, you know, we can be a country of the rule of law and what is right again. It just it just reminded me that that's, you know, this current state of politics that we're in doesn't have to be what we have to be for always. That's right. We can change yeah. and be better. Fucking a. And, and it's funny because like, in, I, so I floated a dream world in which Neil Young and Bob Dylan conspired to sell their catalog <laughs> together and, and, and give the money to charity. So I'm looking at this quadrants of the three of you who I know are, are friends and who I know through each other. And so all I can imagine is like, I'm just like looking at your, you know, Sam Seaborn and, uh, and Josh Lyman. <laughs> you know, like when Josh, you know, like when you see the guy, you know, you go find yeah. Josh goes to find Sam. He's like, oh, and so Sam quits being a lawyer. So, yes. so you know, Palmer and, and Double D are running. <laughs> anyway, that's my <laughs> fantasy world. Well, I was going to say, I, I probably need to wrap it up because we've got some um, Christmas shopping that needs to be finalized before we okay. miss out on that magical shipping window oh yes um but uh just like as far as some of the other things um there's a uh website um well my website there's a youtube channel it's called legal eagle um and uh it's this very charismatic lawyer um that like will break down film and give you like the actual legal um like what it would be like in real life. So he does like the uh, kill count for Batman, like um, what it would, well, well, you know, Batman doesn't kill people. If, well, well if dark or Batman versus Superman, he killed people. So that's like, it's, that's not canon. Anyways, it's, a, <laughs> it's like, a, would Batman be on the hook for damages? Yeah. And if so, you know, what are you looking at? Like what, would it, you know, what would it kind of all tally out to be? Um, but he also does a lot of like current stuff. So like can president Trump pardon himself and goes through it in a very, uh, very clear, very, um, humanistic term. Now he uses a lot of legal terms. Um, but it's still, you can definitely follow along with it. Um, he does like my cousin Vinny. He talks about, um, he'll do like like the Simpson episodes with, uh, you know, um, good Lord, <laughs> off camera. I'm going to wrap it up a lot quicker than I thought. Oh. He knows how to make this stuff happen. Yeah. He is making if only this had a if only this had a, a rear facing camera, guys. Uh, uh, it's uh, laptop, you can rotate it. Ass. <laughs> oh man! By the time I got it turned around, anyway. Your face says um, it all. Legal Eagle, it's awesome. It's a great YouTube channel. Um, definitely check it out. I will check that out. That sounds really. Oh, cool. and he talks about like Indochino. It's like it gives you like a suit discount pro. Like the, either the first four minutes or like the last four minutes. There's always some kind of a little code. The <laughs> word. Um, that's just absolutely outstanding. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. Um, so I highly recommend that. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's been kind of, it's been super crazy, um, with life and, and everything and, um, you know, 2020 knocking you down and, uh, but just trying to find ways to, to stay positive and, and keep yourself going. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of been, man, it's been the crazy year. Um, a lot of, uh, reaching out to friends, um, virtually and, and, you know, uh, you know, getting to know people better and just talking about the stuff that, man, just kicks you in the shins. And, um, then 
pulls you up under the arms and then puts you back on the right road. So uh, that's been kind of fun too. Um, I think that sometimes we have a tendency outside of the 2020 uh, era where you, you know, you'd go times without hanging out with friends and you'd find excuses not to get with friends. And um, this, this is really kind of, uh, I think kind of grounded me um, and really kind of brought me back to, you know, to my core, my cabin kids or whatever, if you want, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. Um, Hell yeah. And, you know, just building those friendships and just appreciating people more. Absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate you, sir. You've been a great uh, friend this year and a bright light in this dark time. <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> right back at you. Indeed. Thanks. So. And we have to keep the brides apart. Like, I mean, yeah. Yeah. World no, uh, yes. Yeah. Oh gosh. Overpower us. <laughs> you got to run. Yeah, I'm gonna have to take off. But um, oh my gosh, I can't wait to hear if if how much longer uh, Palmer can pumpkin. <laughs> I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna make it. <laughs> I'll just I'll just I'll just power through just so that just so that Stan can hear and then. We'll oh my gosh, <laughs> Stan the man's pleasure, uh, Palmer. Dave, as always, man. Love you guys. Love you too. Um, man, can't wait for 2021, but hey, there's a lot of good things in 2022. Absolutely. Yep. All and right. Yeah. Night, guys. Bye, you buddy. Know, Be well. There's a, lot, <laughs> there's a lot of good things in 2022. That's what I heard, too. Like <laughs> two years <All> right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. See you, guys. Awesome, man. See you later. Well, you're both very fortunate because I have to pee bad, so badly. So I will. Uh, <laughs> I'll be um, but to to so so this is a entertainment, I guess. But you know, it's a documentary, but it's an audio documentary uh, okay. called "Seen on Radio," spelled like "seen" as in in a movie, and yeah. it uh, comes out of the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University. It's um it's produced and hosted by this guy called John. Ewan. and it's kind of an npr vibe I, I don't know if it was actually on npr or or the like or public radio international or something but it i think it grew out of that i'll just i'll just say that and now it's a podcast and i was first alerted to it actually through a meditation app like i do the 10 percent happier app which is uh actually I'll, I'll, yeah i'll throw a plug for that because I, I find that very helpful um uh it's a you can pick different meditation teachers and different meditation tracks. And it's got like an interview with someone then it's followed by a little like guided meditation. I, I've tried a handful of them over the years and I like this one best, but uh, there's also a podcast for that, the 10% happier podcast. And on it, just as an aside around the time of the, when George Floyd was killed by the Minneapolis police officer, um, Dan Harris threw out this thing as seen on radio as a great resource for like a white person trying to wrap their head around the history of race in America. And so, so I looked into it. I just made note of it. I looked into it. I can't tell you how much stuff of the sort I've consumed over the last like nine months and um, learned an enormous amount. But this podcast for me synthesizes it all in the most digestible way. So that's why I, it's kind of a go-to for me. And, and really what it was was the history of it all, which is what made me think when you were talking before. It's like I understood some of these dynamic no, – understand, I shouldn't say. Right. The dynamics and the ideas of systemic racism and kind of recognizing it is one thing. But 
this, yeah, the sort of history lesson of this, this show and really reveals like that racism was 100% intentional (laughs) created in order for those rich people to get what they wanted. And, And anyway, but so, but if you're, so if you're intrigued by some of this stuff that we've been talking about, I actually think, uh, among the sort of books that are brought up that this podcast series would be very, um, advantageous to kind of learning some of that history um and so it's broken down into seasons and so i first came to it through the season two which is called seeing white and that came out in 2017 um and so that's just like after trump took office but um so the little blurb just so i don't drone on forever is like is a quote just what's going on with white people police shootings of unarmed african-americans acts of domestic terrorism by white supremacists, the renewed embrace of raw, undisguised white identity politics, unending racial inequality in schools, housing, criminal justice, and hiring. Some of this feels yeah. new, but in truth, it's an old story. Why? Where did this notion of whiteness come from? What does it mean? What is whiteness for? So the host and producer I mentioned, John Buen, takes a deep dive into these questions along with an array of leading scholars and regular guest, Dr. Chenjerai Kumanika, in this 14-part documentary series released from February to August 2017. So the framework of it is is the host, Buen, and he plays it all against, like, so he'll basically present a, like a kind of an audio documentary talking to experts and people that know about the topics. They break it down kind of episode to episode about something in particular. And then he runs it by his friend, um, Dr. Chenjerai Komunika, who is a, a black American. So he, he's able then to say like, okay, John, <laughs> like, and kind of, yeah. so that it's not just a white dude presenting the information. Yeah. And it's actually particularly interesting because of that. And, um, and I think it's probably resonates so well because I am like a well-intentioned liberal white middle-class dude who doesn't, who can't really get it. <laughs> and so, um, this has been really helpful. And um, so the seeing white is terrific. Season three, uh, season one is I think where they're just finding their foot footing as a, as a podcast. And I think it doesn't have a focus, so I can't speak to it. I haven't heard it. Season three is about, is called men and it's about patriarchy and misogyny and toxic masculinity. Um, uh, and, and that one, the co-host is Celeste Headley, who, who's a woman, I think a woman of color. And she acts as that kind of, foil may not be the right word uh to the host but actually i think especially in light of all we've been talking about and now that i've heard all three of these seasons season four might be the best entry point in it that is titled the land that has never yet been and that is taken from a langston hughes poem oh let america be america again the land that never has yet and yet must be and so I think it so that really like you know I know we've been talking for a long time but the I I knew I needed to tell you about this because of the way you were talking about history and your new understanding of it that is the thing about all this and so I guess just to tell you a little bit just to give the rest of the pitch on season 4 so this actually came out this year I listened to it last but it was published from January to June and um and so that's, and Chenjerai Komunika comes back and they talk about um, democracy in America. And basically like there's, 
has that ever been? And what did that look like? And it, it was, and then one of the reasons I think it's such a good entry point is because like they'll pull a whole episode out of the season two seeing white that fits into this narrative that they pull a whole episode out of season three about um, sexism that, that falls into this narrative, but it's all, it's all the things you said. So I'm not going to repeat any of that, but like literally everything you said earlier was laid out for me in these, Uh, in these podcasts. uh, So I wrote that down. So I will definitely be giving that um, a listen for sure. That sounds you may not need it now, but I did, and uh, and I think folks listening who are curious and need an entry point, this might offer one. So there you go. All right, awesome guys, this was fun, super fun, absolute blast. Uh, Thank you so much for putting this together, Dave. Uh, Oh yeah, (laughs) pleasure. It's it's like the third long walk short drink this year. I feel like. Oh, it might Uh, be. Yeah, that's true. Um, a good one though is worth the wait. Fantastic one, Stan. Man, thanks for joining us and thanks for yeah. sharing the insights to your election. It was great to hear all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. thank you for being so open about that. I wasn't sure if that was going to be on the table, and I wanted to make sure to have a point to tell you, like you know, how cool I thought it was. But I'm I'm extra glad that you leaned into it as much as you did. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. I had a blast. I'm looking forward to the next time. This was lovely. Thank you so much, both of you. And, um let's be in touch <laughs> absolutely all, all right, right fellas. all right happy holidays fellas uh please send my love and ash's love to the your respective families and yep. uh, i love you both uh and looking forward to the next time all right love yep. you too take care yep. all right, guys. All right, about that. So I've got a few other uh, recommendations for you, and then I'll finish up with some um, some some of those shameless plugs I was talking about of things that uh, that I made that I'm recommending to you. Um, but things that I didn't get to in the conversation, but prepped for this um, this podcast episode, um, so would be the following: <laughs> November 27th would have been Bruce Lee's 80th birthday, and there was a bunch of stuff this year that uh, came out some to, to directly celebrate that or in honor of that and others just a well i don't know if that'd be coincidences but um so first off there was the criterion box set that came out in the summer um you know i, I listeners show know i love me some criterion they are the hallmark of quality for these kinds of like special releases on home video uh, back in the day, it was Laserdiscs, and then it was DVDs, which they still make, but also now, especially in its Blu-rays. So it was all his films. It was The the Big Boss, Fist of Fury, Way of the Dragon, Enter the Dragon, Game of Death, uh, and the Game of Death sequel, actually, as well as the, the vintage um, uh, documentary called... You know, I can't remember what it's called, actually. I, that's one, one of the elements of the set I haven't watched yet. But I know it was a precursor to the one that I was familiar with um, called The Legend, I think. The Man, the Myth, the Legend? I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> but uh, that uh, that documentary is on there as well as a bunch of other special features. A really cool um, 
it's almost like a magazine. You know, it's a 70s-looking magazine that's the liner notes. It's it's wonderful. And Enter the Dragon is like all those films have never been available together before because the they're you know most of them are owned by you know Golden Harvest or whoever has that catalog. But Enter the Dragon, of course, is Warner Brothers. And anyway, I could go on and on about just that box set, which is fucking great. Um, but what else? Uh, so that wasn't even something I meant to actually focus this whole Bruce Lee thing around the B water bundle is what I called it. So there's a book called B water. There's a film called B water and there's a new series of the Bruce Lee podcast called, uh, that centered around the B water, which is his most you know famous quote. Um, and perhaps, you know, his, his one true, uh, like entry into like modern philosophy or any philosophy really like it's his own sort of you know that whole empty your mind be formless shapeless like water you pour water into a cup it becomes the cup you pour water into a teapot it becomes the teapot water can flow or it can crash be water my friend so you see <laughs> Anyone looking for a Bruce Lee impersonator, you know, hit me up. <laughs> uh, so we'll start with the, um, in Ju- on June 6th, the B-Water 30 for 30, you know, that ESPN series came out. So it's directed by Vietnamese-American filmmaker Bao Wen, and he uh, it's a gripping, fascinating, intimate look, not just at the final defining years of Lee- Bruce Lee's life, but the complex, often difficult, and seismic journey that led to his ultimate emergence as a singular icon in the histories of film, martial arts, and even the connection between the Eastern and Western worlds. Uh, I particularly like that it places him in the context of the mid-60s and early 70s through an Asian-American lens, and though there are modern interviews captured, you don't see them in like high def. Actually, you don't see the people at all. You only see footage from the time that's being depicted, and you hear people's voices, and at the end there's kind of a nice roll call. But uh, I can't recommend that enough. I believe it's on ESPN Plus now, um, and, uh, it's, they said it'd probably come to home video at some point, but, uh, yeah, if you have, if you have the ability to watch that, I, you know, you must. And, um, so also there's the Be Water, My Friend, The Teachings of Bruce Lee, which is written by his daughter, Shannon, his only surviving child at this point. Um, Brandon Lee died in 1993. In the book, Shannon shares the concepts at the core of his philosophy, showing how they can serve as tools of personal growth and self-actualization. The description on the website says more than just an exercise in physical discipline, martial arts are an apt metaphor for living a fully realized life. And so this does a great job. Um, I've been working my way through it kind of slowly, but, uh, you know, Shannon knows her father's philosophies inside out. And um, in 100 plus, I don't know, 120 some episodes of the Bruce Lee podcast uh, that started in, I want to say 2016, maybe, or 17, um, would would take take one and then kind of apply it with her friend um Sharon Lee no relation uh cultural anthropologist and they would kind of apply it to modern concerns you know kind of unpack it from the martial arts um context and then apply it to in ways we could apply it to our own lives and they had a nice interaction with audience and um a nice little community there that I've really enjoyed and gotten a ton from over the years but they'd been on a I think the last one of those was published almost two years ago or something like that, as Shannon took time off to uh, to write this book. And I'm so, so glad she did. And um, I got the audio book as well, and I'm kind of just going through it a little bit at a time. Um, 
and augmenting that with uh, weekly episodes of what they're calling season two of the Bruce Lee podcast. Um, Sharon's not along for the current iteration, but uh, it's interview based now. And uh, Shannon continues to share the philosophies as she and her guests dive deep into how they have aligned with and been inspired by Bruce Lee and his philosophies and how they've motivated themselves to step into their own potential and keep on flowing. So there's that. Oh man, there's one other thing that just happened in the last couple of days as I'm recording this, there is a bill that just passed in the House um, brought by uh, California Representative Judy Chu, and it's House Resolution 1236, quote, recognizing the 80th birthday of Bruce Jun Fan Lee and the immense and positive impact that his legacy continues to have in creating a bridge between cultures, championing values of self-respect, self-discipline, and tolerance in our nation, and pioneering and cultivating new and innovative genre of martial arts, representation in media, and guiding philosophies in the United States and around the world. So how about that? Big year for, for Bruce Lee fans like myself. So another thing I didn't get to that has brought me a lot of comfort and joy this year is the podcast, How Did This Get Made? How Did This Get Made is a podcast hosted by Paul Shear, June Diane Raphael, and Jason Manzukis. And each episode, which typically has a different guest, features the deconstruction and mockery of outlandish and bad films. That's the Wikipedia entry. I, I, I don't love the word mockery, so I'll throw in the description from the show page on Earwolf, which is the podcast network that hosts it. Have you ever seen a movie so bad that it's amazing? <laughs> I like that uh, spin on it. And that, that, that it really is a good-natured ribbing of quote-unquote bad films but uh, like uh, for instance like there's been a ton of van damme movies on there and at the end they'll say like do you recommend watching this and sometimes like if you got a blood sport or something they'll be like fuck yeah watch this it's a lot of fun <laughs> and other times i can't think uh there are movies where it's just like no 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 <laughs> this is not worth your time but the the discussion is always fun um so they have bi-weekly movie episodes the for more than 10 years now um, I only caught up, caught on um, a few years ago, starting with like those Van Damme episodes and listening to other movies that I was familiar with. And now, just this year, I started to listen to also the um, the mini episodes, which are the in between the the weeks where the movies are discussed. It's just the Paul Shear, Tall John Shear, <laughs> for those who listen. Um, and he kind of I mean, he takes questions like you know answering like life advice <laughs> they're kind of all over the place but they're they're short and they also tell you the movie that's going to be on next week if you want to watch it ahead of time and um the last few months they've done these choir chats which are paul and then jason essentially doing what we, you know we did and we do on this podcast all the time which is sharing things that we enjoy uh but that's been a nice feature uh, during this time uh the so how did this get made also did uh they had this long-running Transformers 2 Revenge of the Fallen gag uh, that where they have a mailbag and people can will send things to their uh, to the Earwolf offices. And there was this one guy that grew to like a couple of guys. <laughs> anyway, they were they were sending copies of of that DVD Transformers 2 Revenge of the Fallen, wanting them to uh, cover it on the episode uh, or an episode. I mean, they sent, I can't remember what the tally was, but they would send them in these creative ways and it was just kind of this ongoing bit. But then they decided to end the bit, you know, the, the Michael Bay, <laughs> they, they were calling themselves, uh, with a charity episode. So they did record, the, the gang did record an episode um, for Transformers to Revenge of the Fallen. <laughs> and it's a, 
it's a hundred percent of the proceeds of which now go to well they initially went to uh, get out the vote charity leading up to the election but a hundred percent of the proceeds now go to feeding america a nonprofit that helps food banks across the country and so that episode is five dollars and you can download it at hdtgminfo.com until december 22nd so um not much time left there They've also they've been doing a series of live stream video sessions. They just did they did one starting with cats uh, in the fall, and then um, just f- at the same time we were recording this episode, um, they were doing one of two Christmas movies. And uh, so, if someone is hearing this in December of 2020, you may still be able to get tickets for these at hdtgminfo.com. How did this get made? Music. I got to. We kind of talked a little bit about the Pearl Jam thing, but you can see that um, my full review and unboxing on our YouTube channel. But um, another kind of umbrella term that all fell under one title uh, this year would be "Letter to You" from Bruce Springsteen. So, "Letter to You" is the twentieth studio album from Bruce Springsteen, and it marks his first new studio album with the the E Street Band since 2014's "High Hopes." Um, also released on October 23rd when the album came out is an accompanying documentary directed by longtime collaborator Tom Zimney, which is described as, quote, a tribute to the E Street band, rock and roll, and the way music has shaped Springsteen's life. It captures the boss reflecting on music, love, and loss while recording Letter to You in just five days back in November of 2019 with the full band in studio together for the first time since Born in the USA, so they say. I don't know. I saw just for myself, I watched uh, Blood Brothers for the first time. And I believe that was around ooh, the 1995, 96, when they were doing the greatest hits. And he had the band come in. But I guess they didn't all play together. I don't know. Anyway, they're, they're not talking about that. They're talking about this right now <laughs> and very proud of it. It's black and white. You can see Bruce play a song on acoustic guitar in the control room. And then these world-class musicians and lifelong friends come up with arrangements on the spot. And then it has these kind of poetic meditations underlying the material in between. It is super, super cool. It's on Apple Plus. So when you get your uh, free trial to watch Ted Lasso over and over again, you can work this in as well. Um, so it's called Bruce Springsteen's Letter to You, which you can find on Apple t- t- or Apple Plus. <laughs> Springsteen also did a series of interviews the week of the release on Apple Music, uh, well, Apple Music Radio, I guess, and they're called Letter to You, and they've got a um, bunch of different guests. Like, I mean, he talks to like his buddy Steve Van Zandt, but he talks to like Clive Davis and John Landau. There's an episode with Eddie Vedder and Dave Grohl. I think Brandon Flowers from The Killers um, is pretty cool. John Stewart also. I think that might be all of the guests, actually. But um, So that's worthwhile as well. Uh, side note, uh, speaking of like radio... Uh, and Bruce, uh, he did a series of uh, like DJ sessions that he called From My Home to Yours during quarantine. And he's up to volume 15 right now. And uh, he basically just spins records and kind of, you know, he's got themes to the episodes and he he does that kind of, it's, it's all that voice he kind of discovered for the, um, the Born to Run um, autobiography that then evolved into like the the Broadway show and then Western stars and now like the, the letter to you documentary is that kind of like, you know, he talks slow like this. He plays a little, you know, on background music and he says things like, you know, about social commentary and whatnot. And eventually he might just go wear a fucking mask. <laughs> anyway, that's not the greatest, that's great representation. of it, But, um, 
Some of the standouts for me would be Volume 5, uh, American Skin, um, Volume 6, Down to the River to Pray, and Volume 14, um, Farewell to the Thief. Uh, American Skin and Down to the River to Pray are both around that time uh, George Floyd was uh, murdered. And then uh, Farewell to the Thief was a kind of a, a Halloween slash election episode. It was a weird kind of balance, but it was really fun and a great selection of music. Um, so if, you, if you've got serious... Uh, XM. I can't remember if I got a chance to mention this in the in the in the group conversation. I don't think I did. So check out the um. The, gosh, there's channels on on Sirius XM for Pearl Jam. There's a channel for a permanent channel for U2 now. There's a E Street channel. So and then all those other great ones that like Palmer mentioned. And there's like a Lithium and all this stuff. So I don't love the sound quality, but for the programming, it's worth it. <laughs> so um, so check it out. I think it's uh. Uh, on the app, you just, you know, search for E Street Radio and uh, listen to the, from my home to yours. It's kind of archived like a, like a podcast kind of. Oh, and un- unexpected. I'm not sure how many we're up to now. I, I think I was trying to prepare 10. I'm not, I felt like I didn't get to 10 and now I feel like I've said too many, but I'll just say quickly, the, the last dance, the documentary about Michael Jordan and the, and the bulls. Um, if you didn't see that it's on Netflix now and, uh, I can't remember how many parts it is or whatever. And I've gone on too long about too many things. I got to tell you still about the stuff I made. So, um, and I also ran out of time to make notes on this one. So I'll just say the last dance, if you have any inclining to watch it, definitely do so. I am not a sports guy. Um, I didn't keep, I don't keep up with any of that. And, uh, but it kind of brings you right back to that time. And it was inescapable. The bull sort of cultural um presence michael jordan in particular and the kind of portrait of excellence there and the and how that manifests in him um personally and sort of i won't say the toll it takes but um i don't know Uh, you see i mean my wife and i had a lot of debate as to whether or not you know he was an asshole (laughs) for me i was like i don't think i think he sort of has a code and if you work within that code then he's cool um but it is intense. He is intense. And that documentary is just fantastic. However many parts it is, it's worth every minute. So The Last Dance, now on Netflix. Check it out. Um, also, Netflix, just I don't say too much about it because I, I haven't seen that much of it yet. But The Dairy Girls, I just discovered. It's delightful. But anyway, so my last sort of official um, pick here <laughs> it would be uh, theater. We didn't get to really go to much theater this year. But um, there is you know some live theater that has been available online because of uh, COVID, like the National Theater offered weekly shows from April to July, where they streamed uh, archived film performances on YouTube, on their YouTube channel, and I think took de- donations. Um, in May, they had the Nick Deere adaptation of Frankenstein from 2011, directed by Danny Boyle and starring Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller, swapping the creature creator roles. Uh, I talked about, I've talked about that when I, I mean, I saw it back in 2011 when they ran it like in theaters. Uh, or like movie theaters through satellite. Um, And then I think I talked about it on an episode a while back when they brought it out of moratorium for the Frankenstein 200 anniversary. Um, But due to this, I was able to watch on YouTube. I might've been able to download it and put it in my own archive, which was great. Such a joy. I'm so glad to have that. Uh, Disney plus put up Hamilton with the original cast, which was fucking awesome. Um, but those were supposed to be just special mentions. They're just sort of special mentions for theater, but I ended up having a theater bucket because I wanted to call attention to a particular, um, play 
that is on Amazon Prime, and it's called What the Constitution Means to Me. And What the Constitution Means to Me is a 2017 American play by Heidi Schreck. Uh, it ran on Broadway, or it was, it was recorded on Broadway March 31st, 2019 at the Hayes Theater, with Shrek herself in the leading role. And in it, she addresses themes such as women's rights, immigration, domestic abuse, and the history of the United States, varying the time period throughout, performing some scenes as her modern self and others as her 15-year-old self participating in constitutional debate contests, something she really did. And uh, the play, which is almost a one-person show, received accolades such as nomination for the best play in the Tony Awards and a finalist spot for the 2019 Pulitzer Prize for Drama. It is excellent. I know the things that I listed there sound intense, but it's also super funny. It's really touching. It's um, it's a really special uh, production and play, and uh, I can't recommend that enough. So I don't know what the final tally was, <laughs> but uh, those are my recommendations of uh, other people's stuff that we didn't get to in our already <laughs> like super long <laughs> oh, podcast. But if you're still listening, I'm going to give you a, a little rundown of uh, the things that uh, I myself made and put out in uh, 2020. Okay. I made a documentary, a short documentary called Jingle Dress Dancers in the Modern World, Ojibwe People and Pandemics. For the Ojibwe, song and dance have the power to heal. And this documentary explores the origins of the jingle dress dance tradition with Ojibwe historian Brenda J. Child, who also describes what it means to dancers and Ojibwe people today and how it has evolved to include modern protest movements such as Standing Rock and calls for racial justice. So Dr. Child and I um, expanded upon an interview that I filmed with her in the fall of 2019, just before the pandemic began. And then we supplemented it with new photographs by Eugene Taffe, whose name I hope I'm saying correctly. Uh, so he took these uh, new photos for his Jingle Dress project, um, photo project this summer, as well as we included a remote interview with a young Jingle Dress dancer who talks about how the tradition has helped her heal from post-traumatic stress. So it's just over 15 minutes long, and you can watch it at tinyurl.com slash doc or search Jingle Dress Documentary on YouTube, and it should pop up. So that's like a kind of a classy um, thing I did. I, uh, <laughs> my, and uh, Jacko, as we call him, our adaptation of James O'Barr's graphic novel, The Crow, is now streamable online on YouTube. Now, this is kind of a long story. I won't get into in too much detail here because we're on hour like 27. But um, I made a documentary about our time making that film, or I should say I finished a documentary someone else started called Inertia Remaking the Crow. And that is supposed to come out on Lunch Meat VHS, like a limited edition VHS cassette um, run in the in the new year. Uh, and to kind of go along with that, um, we put up the adaptation on, their, on the Lunch Meat VHS YouTube page. So you can watch. So the I think what a... Someone Palmer was joking is like the 4K restoration. So I was actually putting together a trailer for that documentary when um, Josh uh, Schaefer, who who kind of runs um, Lunch Meat, reached out to me through my website in like I want to say April, and um, so I was already kind of in it, thinking like that this three minute trailer I was working up would be the only thing people would see of that documentary. And he wants to release like the movie, movie, but I'm pretty sure that's like super illegal, and so. <laughs> I was like, well, we could put out the documentary, which I do, you know, own the rights to my own story, of course. 
that's the idea. Hopefully that will come to pass. But so that led to me like doing the match cutting to create new masters of these things, going back to the original tapes. And I use that giant um, uh, VHS, SVHS, like professional grade recorder that I talked about years ago. I mean, it's all such a long story. But anyway, long story sort of short is that, uh, yeah, I went back to, to those original tapes and match cut the documentary as best I could, the things that not been like molded. And so that looks as good as it possibly can. That's not available online. You can watch the trailer for that um, on my website, which is davidalman.net slash inertia. You can see that I N E R T I A. Um, You can also see that uh, trailer on the lunch meat VHS YouTube page. Um, Maybe I'll put, maybe I'll make like a playlist on our page where you can see all these two. If you go to YouTube, you know, slash long walk, short drink. But, um, so I ended up even adding back like six minutes of footage. <laughs> so it's kind of this version of that movie. It's a, yet another version of that movie. Oh my God. Like 25 years after the, the first time we finished it, but it's never looked so good. It's never, you know, this is the best possible uh, version. It's up res to HD. It's not 4k. That'd be ridiculous, but it looks amazing. Um, and it's actually because of the show that, that I, had that in my mind to do because I sent double D like a gift of the DVD a few years ago and I realized you could barely see it. So anyway, it looks amazing for what it is. Um, it's been some nice feedback. I guess it's a, like um, an underground tape. Like there's a, there's a listing for it on like a crow collectible site that is for, I think $10,000. It's absurd. I actually don't think the guy has a tape of it, but whatever. Um, so that's kind of a big deal. You can check that out. Um, I did some podcast, guest spots so i was i did another um another appearance on the jean pod van damme cast on the pod bros network uh episode 118 and where we talk about uh the van damme was doing a bunch of fun stuff like with his kids on his youtube page and so we uh we talk about that and so you can check out the there's a video version of that on their youtube page on the pod bros um youtube page uh and then also i ended up on the I Must Break This podcast, which is a fan podcast celebrating the cinematic career of Dolph Lundgren. Um, I'm on episode 61, where we talk about Universal Soldier regeneration. And so that was a really fun and unexpected uh, connection to make. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so I don't know why I'm laughing. I'm just laughing because I don't know the <laughs> what these podcasts are. Anyway, I was proud to be on both of them. Um, and so check them out. What else? A friend of the podcast and cabin kid crams finished uh, an album under the name possible bird. And, uh, I may, I did some video work for that. Um, we, that I think will be a short documentary. There's a trailer for that, that you can see on my Instagram page. Um, if you go to, you know, just slash David Allman, U L L M A N, um, in the IGTV uh, tab you can see that uh, it's under a preview for the album but you, it's essentially kind of a preview for the for the documentary as well you can also see there i ended up doing a, a music video for his song bloom um it has ties to like you know 20 plus years of he and i collaborating on stuff and so i think that documentary is going to ultimately be called something to me um and i was about to dive into it in april when uh when josh from lunch meat reached out and then i just ended up spending you know, quite a long time in the, uh, working with, uh, the crow stuff. Oh, I didn't, uh, <laughs> there's, there's more there. I knew there was more, there's always more crow, <laughs> but um, 
but this stuff is actually super cool. So I did a I did a video commentary exclusive to the Lunch Meat VHS page. So if you you have to watch this on Lunch VHS's YouTube, or I think you can link to it by going to davidalman.net slash the crow. Um, but so I as a 41 year old, I sat and watched this like new cut of the film and, um, you know, gave commentary along the way. And it was really cool. Um, and there's a little bit in there where you can see, I actually added one shot. I filmed a new shot (laughs) in 2020 to insert into that 25 year old effort. Um, because it was something that I just couldn't get my hands on at the time. So you'll have to check that out to see it. you can see the behind the scenes of it, right? Smack dab in the commentary, but there's also two existing commentaries for that that never really came to anything or got to be seen by anybody as none of this really did. Um, But so one is completely period, like while we were making the movie as, as teenagers. So it's like clips from me. I think it's from an interview. Like I tried to sit for an interview with no one. (laughs) I found that that didn't work, but it had the vibe I realized later of, of like someone of, of like a commentary, like a director commentary. So I worked it into one and you can watch that, um, on Vimeo. Uh, I made like a whole gallery of, uh, these. And so I believe you got a link to that from the David Allman.net slash the crow. And so that's the 1998 commentary. And so it's like a side by side of the movie and that version of it that existed at the time. But I, like I basically made kind of a mini documentary on the right hand side of the screen where I put B-roll from the time to everything I was talking about. Um, it took a long time, but I was just, I don't know, invested in it. It was really nice. Like I, it's hard to explain, but like when you have that much footage from so many years of your life and it's like scattered all over the place, I kind of, because I was working on these projects, I knew where everything was. And I was just like, fuck it, let's just do it. And so I did that. And then there was a a commentary I recorded with Jacko in 2003 that was supposed to be part of this thing. There was going to be a Crow Crow fan film site. We were working with the people actually own the film rights to like have this website and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, that seemed like it was going to happen, but at some point just never did. And then this never got uh, shared. So again, I, I used the audio track and I put like a, a two screen situation and then I illustrated all the things we were talking about. And I, and in that version, I, I actually use a lot of, um, like screen grabs from the comic scans from the comic. So you can see how it lines up, but it's another different experience. So there's like, there's this kind of like special edition online version of that movie. Now, if you go to davidalmond.net slash the crow, you can link to all of it. Oh my God. It never and then hopefully in the new year here there'll be the uh, the limited edition VHS that you can that I'll <laughs> I'll let you know about that when it happens. Oh man. Oh, uh, so also as far as then music, I actually played music in front of a microphone. I relearned some songs for the first time in like five years. Um, I had an opportunity to do a short set for like my day job you know, they have like these Friday socials and then somebody remembered that I, that I did that and they invited me and it was, uh, it was really great. I hadn't performed since the Furious Light tour ended in August of 2015 and it was a little harder than I expected to like just jump back into it, but I'm super glad I did. Um, you can check that out on, uh, on YouTube. Um, I have like a, uh, so YouTube slash David Allman and there's like three of these little quarantine, um, type things. 
for that first one, I think if you listen closely enough, I bet you can hear like the anxious quiver in my voice and my heart beating its way out of my chest. <laughs> but uh, by the end of it, I was I was buoyed by the melody and the goodwill of those cheering me on. And my dogs might have snored through it, but uh, those kind of quarantine house concert, uh, mini house concerts got me back behind the microphone with a guitar for the first time in half a decade. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, DreamingOutLoudRecords.com site is got almost the full archive now of uh, sort of cabin kid related uh, uh, musical efforts. And so I'm looking at it right now and there's one, two, three, four. There are more than 40 releases on this son of a bitch. <laughs> and uh, they're all sounding as good as they can. A lot of them have video components. Some of them have like, I don't know, how many pages like pdfs uh like sort of deluxe liner notes i've been chipping away at this thing for years and i just decided at the beginning of the year that uh i was gonna make a point of um of getting this you know to as complete as i can there's there's a couple of holdouts notable and i'm you know i can't get into listing everything but i if you're curious about you know my musical output or motos or like any of these uh, folks we're talking about, it's all free, all at dreamingoutloudrecords.com. I also finished this year the archive of uh, what I call my mix albums. And so by the, t well, no, I was going to say by the time this is out, I should have one for 2020, but I, I won't. I'm still working on that and be ready in January. But um, since 2004, I had this practice of like putting together songs that kind of trace my emotional trajectory for the year. Um, and then I would send them out to, um, at first just friends. And then once I got to, it was, I, it was like the year before I started playing music publicly. And then I started to send them to like my mailing list physically. It was kind of, uh, for me, it was a little bit like the tradition of being a, a member of the Pearl Jam fan club. You would get a holiday single like around Christmas time. Was it, that, Theirs were their own songs, like a 45 A and B side. But um, anyway, this was something I did for a long time. I almost stopped doing it, but I'm glad I didn't. And now they are all up for uh, streaming and download um, at davidalman.net slash mix albums. You can kind of navigate to, uh, man, how, how many of them are there? So it would be 10, 11, 12, 13. I think there's, there's 15 years worth there right now. I'm starting to get a horse. I'm talking so damn much just in this like intro outro. Bless your heart if you're listening. I'm, so I, maybe in the new year, I'll kind of say this stuff as we go. So the dump at the end is not, this intense but um so lastly uh th there's uh in march a newer friend of mine asked me for a coronavirus playlist to help him like pass the time and he was now spending at home he didn't know me well enough to realize what a task i might make of such a thing and so his innocent request resulted in weeks of my <laughs> racking my brain and culling through my music library for a satisfying mix of songs for the theme at hand Eventually, I settled on sticking to tunes available on Spotify to prevent myself from spending too much time like ripping CDs and matching volumes and editing this ideal flow between songs that I do for the mix albums. Um, I also figured it'd be a good way of like connecting folks to the libraries of the artists represented. They'd just be a click away. Um, so I didn't attempt to cater to any cultural relevance or coolness. I simply picked songs that sung to me and whose titles formed a sort of narrative of their own. Um, so you can find that, um, uh, on Spotify, uh, I guess actually probably the best place to link to it is if you go to davidalman.net slash music and scroll to the bottom of the page, or I wonder maybe you can search a shelter in place quarantine mix 
on Spotify uh, and listen to it. But um, it's 48 songs. Um, I hope you can find some solace or strength or comfort in them. I try to build them around themes of hope and isolation and resilience and and beauty. So anyway, so there you go. There's the God, there's more. I'm sure there's probably more, but I'm just, I'm not going to tell you about it. Um, you can of course follow us on um, Twitter at LWSD pod. You can go LWSD pod.com for the archive or find, you know, if you're listening to this on an app already, of course, then, uh, then you found it. Um, I don't know if you have a friend you think would be into it, please tell them about it. Um, but regardless, uh, I'm so grateful to you for, I don't know, spending this time with me. If you're listening at this point, holy cow, all the useless bonus points in the world go to you. Thank you for uh, giving a shit. And um, we'll uh, talk to you next year. Cheers. I'm all for boners.